You're listening to Nowhere in Mulberry. Film, television, and pop culture. It's where you find it. The Dark Tower. Book One. The Gunslinger. By Stephen King. This is the first ever Nowhere in Mulberry book club meetup type show. I don't know. What do you call it? The Nowhere in Mulberry book club. Let me just say uh, Nowhere in Mulberry is a live pop culture internet show that we podcast. We talk about film, television, pop culture. Why not uh, talk about books too? We love reading. So we get yeah, together. we always reading something and we always end up talking about it. So... Why not talk about it with our fans? Exactly. And I am Jason, and this is Mulberry Bill, the Mulberry Historian. How you doing, Bill? I'm excellent. Unfortunately, Stephen could not make it. No. I mean, he always just barely scrapes by getting here on a Friday, so on a Thursday, I knew he was pretty much screwed. Did he read the book? The deal was he read it a long time ago. Oh, okay. And he was going to reread it, and he started... But uh, I think he was going to just try to get by on what he remembered. That would be kind of tough. Yeah, it would. Because uh, it's like even even after reading it the first time and then going back and uh, reading it again and then listening to the audiobook, I don't think I still have all of it in my head. Right. It's interesting because I did finish the book, what, it was like two weeks ago or something? And it's so fresh in your mind and vivid and then it slowly starts to fade away like a dream. Uh, and then you can't remember anymore. So I started listening to the audiobook and re-listening to that. It's just like, oh yeah, I see it all again. It's uh, it's very interesting. And you know, you start to remember everything. And there's this guy who, what's the name of the guy who did the audiobook? I honestly can't remember. Well, basically, Ian McShane. <laughs> yeah, it's a guy who sounds like Ian McShane. But when he says certain lines that you hear in your head as you read it, it cracked me up. It was just really funny just hearing someone say the the words aloud, you know, the dialogue. But uh, let me go ahead and say this. The Nora Mulberry Book Club, this is the very first episode. And what we're doing is we're covering the Dark Tower series by Stephen King. The first book is The Gunslinger. And we've just read that this month. At the end of this month, we're going to cover The Drawing of the Three. Right, Bill? Or so Hopefully. We think. I'm ready to dig it's, into it's, that book. It's much bigger than the Gunslinger. Much. Well, don't be surprised if I'm done reading that book by the end of the weekend. <laughs> well, you know what? It, you are going on vacation, and there's not a whole lot to do out there. 
So I wouldn't blame you. What I'm it, getting ready to read it, too. I got it sitting right here beside me. What Basically what is, we're going away for the weekend, me and my family, so I couldn't do the show tomorrow. That's why we're doing it on a Thursday. I know it's kind of weird doing a show on a Thursday. I woke up this morning, and uh, I didn't get ready to take my daughter to uh, summer school, which she's going to, like a pre-K summer school before kindergarten. And mm-hmm. Heather walked in. She goes, why aren't you getting up? And I was like, what do you mean? We uh, we sleep late on Friday. She goes, it's Thursday. <laughs> I was like, oh, crap. I didn't even set my alarm even. That's how positive I was that yesterday was Thursday when I was going to bed. I, I had that thought, too. It totally screwed me up. So I'm excited to to talk about this book, The Gunslinger, because I got to tell you, first off, why why the Dark Tower, Bill? Why? Uh, the thing is, I remember a long time ago, I don't know when this was, uh, I'm going to say early 90s in a comic book store, they had these little uh, collectible Dark Tower cards or something. It was like different okay. paintings or whatever. And one of them was the gunslinger. I, I could show you on the Stephen King's actual site. He has pictures. And that's one of the pictures I saw where uh, Roland has his head kind of cocked to the left. And he's, you know, reaching for his guns. And I thought it was such a cool painting. I was like, what is that? Then I read it. It was like Stephen King's The Gunslinger. I was like, what the hell is that? Is that like a new comic? No, that's a book series. A book series? Books? What? <laughs> You mean I got to read a book to know what this is? But anyway, that just that little bit there got me always curious about the Dark Tower and the Gunslinger. I just wanted to know. And all this time, you know, it's like a passing thing. I, I guess you could say the Dark Tower has always been on my bucket list, Bill. Okay. Unlike Jesse <laughs> James, I, I don't want to ride on the ice on a motorcycle in uh, Alaska. I want to read a series of books <laughs> before you I don't, die. You don't want to drink uh, coffee pooped out by goats. Ex- exactly. I don't want to uh, figure eight race. I don't want to run for the cops. I, I still don't understand the running from the cops thing. But anyway, no, I but I digress. <laughs> but I, I think the first time I was ever uh, introduced to it was I, I think I saw a picture of one of the books and it was uh, Roland with that like with the hat and the rose in his hand. And I was just like, hmm, what's that? That looks interesting. And, you know, to have the the guns on and everything. And But right. I've never been like a uh, a crazy Stephen King fan. I've read, you know, It. I've read more recently like Cell and stuff. But I've never never really thought to dig into the, the Dark Tower series. Right. Yeah. You know, that's the thing. I've talked about this before where I'll read other authors and come back to Stephen King and realize – I do actually miss his voice and the way he writes. And uh, I got to say, when I read The Gunslinger, I'd been reading his other stories, uh, you know, The Low Men in Yellow Coats. And it's written in a, a different way. And it wasn't until, you know, I was it was hard to place how this book is read. It was just, it's very poetic, the, the mm-hmm. way everything is described. And then, you know, when I went and read that it was actually inspired by a poem called Child okay. Roland to the Dark Tower came by Robert Browning. King said that he wanted to do kind of a, a romantic novel embodying the feel of a, a poem, basically, which I found out thanks to Wikipedia. <laughs> oh, okay. But, uh, hey, that's where you go to get your information, Bill. But Absolutely. When I, but after I read that, I was like, oh, okay, because it did have that kind of strange, kind of weird, descriptive way. It was just, I would almost say it was very wordy, wouldn't you describe it as yeah, wordy? Yeah, it's incredibly wordy. 
And uh, I would say, like, if we start off on the book, I had real trouble getting through the first chapter in a way. Not where I didn't understand the words. Uh, hey, I did have to look up some words in this book. I'll admit to you right, that right now. Oh, but, Toad, I always have to look up words in books. I think that's what makes you a, a better reader and expands your vocabulary. But do you know how when you read a book, it's like slipping on the goggles, the uh, the VR goggles as you're reading and your imagination can take hold and you picture sure. everything? It was almost like uh, they're almost on. Oh, they just fell off. And it would just be like it was hard for me to get into it right away. And when he gets to the guy named Brown with Zoltan. Mm-hmm. Yes, the Raven. The, yes, the Raven. I started getting into it. And uh, remember, basically the whole book starts off with him after the man in black. Yeah, see, that's the thing. with I, I, The moment I started reading it, I was sucked in. The whole idea of him chasing this guy across the desert, coming up upon his burnt campfire that was left in a, a symbol that somehow he tr- he would try to interpret in different ways, like it was the man in black taunting him or right. something like It just something about that like pulled me right in. That was very cool. It was very cool imagery of him always uh, coming upon the, uh, the old camp. And it kind of reminded me of, uh, you know, recently I watched The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, which uh, Stephen King says is a, uh, an influence on on the book, the whole idea, kind of this, and I wouldn't even call the book a western at all, would you? It's more like no. a, a fantasy western, uh, post-apocalyptic. I don't know. It's hard well, to I, pigeonhole, isn't it? It, it? To think of it as a western, in in that uh, there's a cowboy, in it, I guess. He, well, it's not. He's not really as much a cowboy as uh, you know a gunslinger. Yeah, he, just the you, cowboy you have imagery. To think of it I as, mean. The area he's in in the beginning of the book is this desert, and right. it's kind of, you know, you have the devil grass and everything that's so much like a, 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 the old West, you know, and it, it automatically kind of settles in your mind, this old West mentality. Right. I had imagery of the lone man walking through the sand dunes, almost like a, almost like a Randall flag in the stand, you know, the walking dude. Just mm-hmm. walking along in the middle of nothingness. I love that imagery. And as he comes closer and he looks up and he sees something in the distance, he can't make it out in a way. And then he gets closer. The book deals a lot with flashbacks also where it'll have him. He's in present, but then he will reflect on things from the past. And one thing that the book does a lot, wouldn't you say it reveals very slowly, subtle little uh, things it's almost like we're in the the gunslinger's head, and he will he will say things in his head, or he'll think them as if we know, and we don't know what he's thinking of, who these people exactly. are yet. And I almost started to like that. It's almost like a game that Stephen King uh, is doing is he's hinting at things from his past that we will get to know eventually, right? Yeah, I mean, from the very beginning of the book, it mentions uh, uh, how he lost his hat. And he lost his horn, the horn that belonged to his old friend Cuthbert. Right. And you're like, oh, okay. It it teases those things right off the bat. And it it kind of festers in your mind until whenever finally something triggers that thought in his head and the flashback starts. And, you know, it's funny. As the book starts and he's walking, you picture him walking and he's got his hat on. And then you read he lost his hat and it's like, bling. Okay, the hat's gone. 
<laughs> yeah. And what I was imagining, okay, he no longer has a hat. The cover is wrong on the book. He has no hat. <laughs> no. But, uh, okay, well, let's get into this. He meets the guy that I was talking about, Brown, and Zoltan, the, uh, the wonderful little crow, right? Hmm. Ah, yes. Good imagery there, right? <laughs> yes. And Zoltan, I, I immediately like Zoltan because he brought some uh, some humor to the, the story immediately. Mm-hmm. Screw you! <laughs> yeah, that's the uh, audiobook guy. I thought it was hilarious, him saying the little things. But uh, it, it was kind of strange, isn't it? Like, what did he do? Didn't the Roland immediately pass out as soon as he got there and he wakens? Uh, no, he gets there and uh, immediately he doesn't know what to make of the guy. You know, th- this is in his head. He's always questioning: Is this a trick? Right. And we don't know why. We don't. We don't quite understand why uh, he already thinks that uh, the man in black is screwing with his head. Obviously, right. again, that calls back to something that's revealed later in the book. But he sees Brown and he wonders who he is. And there's that little, uh, you know interaction where he says life for your crop and i forget what the reply is but that's another great thing it's just the the speech in this whenever they're just uh talking back and forth and uh they he finally kind of figures out eh, this can't be a trick and right. then he uh yeah. they start to talk about things and uh i believe they go he goes in and he does fall asleep you're right but then whenever he wakes up, I think it, uh, dinner starts or something, and then... He's making uh, corn. He's a corn farmer, right? Somewhat, yes. <laughs> oh, it, yeah, I remember. He uh, he makes corn, but some man brings him beans, and he's telling... Yes. Oh, Papa Doc brings him beans. Papa Doc brings him beans. <laughs> he's the bringer of beans. He's the bean bringer. But, yeah, and the things are going through uh, Roland's head, Roland DeShane. He's wondering, is this an illusion or possibly maybe this guy Brown is uh, the man in black, maybe tricking him or something? I don't know. That's the one thing that's interesting is how immediately we don't even know the scope of the man in black, his abilities. His, if he, Does he have powers? What kind of powers? What can he do? And, you know, eventually we learn that he's kind of a sorcerer, right? Like very. And he, he conjured up, uh, what was it, Rabbit came out of his sleeve for him and brown what i love i gotta tell you i fell in love with the way that the gunslinger spoke didn't you yeah uh, he would always say yar <laughs> yes instead i found of, myself saying that yar. constantly and you know i've been driving you crazy with do you say so <laughs> let it be so let it be so i love how somebody says something is do you say so i love that my, my favorite is still uh you say true, I say thank you. <laughs> yes. And he uses the word, he talks about the caw a lot. Caw. Not like yes. a uh, crow caw, but uh, I guess it means like your destiny, right? A yeah, I think the caw is, uh, yeah, kind of like the uh, the passion of life, I'm guessing. Right. And I, basically a lot of things you kind of settle into it. It becomes like this, this nice rhythm of dialogue. I think of the way he speaks that I really like. And what would they call it? A palaver. When you sit and you yes. have a talk uh, is a palaver. He'd ha- he had a nice palaver. A term I I've never, I honestly, I've never heard until then. And I think anytime I'm going to mention 
a long talk or a debate, I'll use palaver. <laughs> yeah, basically, <laughs> we're having a, a great word. we're having a palaver now, aren't we, about the book? Yes. <laughs> this is when the book really starts to get good, as he starts to tell Brown about where he came from, the town of Toll. And he wants to, but he, he can't until Brown engages him to. Right, he's waiting. There's something holding him up. Maybe he's that he's ashamed or that he's... I don't know what it is. He's got to talk about... I haven't understood it. Yeah, he's got to talk about what happened, and he's waiting for the dude to ask him or bring it up, but the guy doesn't seem to want to. And finally he says, will you hear... Will you hear my story or whatever? And he says, if you wish to tell it. And he's like, okay, well, that's good enough. I'm going to start telling you, you know. And uh, that's, you know, he shows up to this town. Do you remember what the town was called? Oh, it's Toll. I just said that. He shows up to Toll, and it's like, that's what's so weird about also about the book is the descriptions of places. It sounds like a real shithole, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, it's uh, desolate. Again, because it's been mentioned, it's because the world has moved on. It's Right, that's one thing know, everyone now, says. I guess this, this world that he's in is in its twilight of being, and there's just nothing really left. Right, and so when he arrives this town, everyone looks... Uh, pretty disheveled and like poor and the the kids are little shits and uh it was interesting the first hint that something you know they're not we're not in the old west and almost in the book we don't even know this yet we don't know where we are they're singing hey jude <laughs> you know it's coming yeah. out of the uh what would you call it a bar the, yeah it's a saloon the town saloon. a very a very ragged saloon i think the description was it uh there was a sawhorse bar so, you know, you just picture two sawhorses with a, a piece of wood across it, you know, a broken down honky-tonk piano, and just people playing, what was it called, Watch Me or Watch This right. type of card game, I'm guessing is kind of like war, I don't know. That guy, that guy Sheb, is playing the piano. Yes. And oh, and remember, he uh, leaves his mule. Yeah, with... Uh, Strange oh, Daughters, God. I remember. Yeah, it's a, an old crook with... Uh, very sexualized older daughters and, yeah. and, a, and a baby. That was really weird, wasn't it? Like, they keep making yeah. eyes at him, and he's like, get in the house! <laughs> you know, he's just, like, abusive towards him to get... Shut up! Go inside! Or whatever. What does he order? Beer and some burgers? And I was like, oh, right. Three burgers and a beer. <laughs> three burgers. And it's basically... You don't know where the meats come from, but they say it's good. And it kind of... that There's a little hint. I forget how it's worded that... There may be some radiation going on here. Exactly, some mutation in the and yeah. because she mentions it's threaded stock. Yeah, and he's like, and he's like, yeah, right. Yeah, right. Like I believe that it's probably mutated meat or something. And I was just like, mmm, mutant burger. That's what I want. But there's this weird thing with this guy Nort in the back, and this is the first mention ever of the high speech. Remember yes. that the guy Nort. And they call him the weed eater. He's this guy who eats grass, I guess. The he, devil grass, which I guess is somehow good shit, man. Hallucinogenic <laughs> or addictive, I'm guessing. Right. I, they're they're mentioned that people, some people that burn the devil grass, won't even look into it because they're afraid of the demons in it. You know, so obviously it's some nasty. Sh- nasty stuff you know he speaks of the high speech to this guy and it goes into the whole story of the man in black was there you know when they first introduced the man in black and we get to hear him speak he seems like this kind of boisterous uh 
almost cocky kind of guy. He, yeah. he has no fear, and he likes to just screw with people. Doesn't it seem like that? Yeah. Basically, we learn that Nort, the weed eater guy, the guy who ate the, uh, I don't know why I keep calling him that, the grass eater, he was uh, basically taunted by the whole town. They treat him like crap. Even the kids would taunt him. I don't yes. know, I guess he was like the town drunk, but instead of booze, he ate grass. <laughs> yeah. He drops dead from eating all the grass one day in front of everyone, and they're having this, uh, I guess, funeral or something kind of thing, uh, like a celebration in the bar, and he's laying on the table, and the man in black comes in, and I forget the exact dialogue he has, but he uh, brings Nort back to life in front of everyone. Yeah, there's a very interesting scene of of him... uh jumping over him repeatedly back and forth yeah he's doing like this weird kind of dance and ritual and he's it's like he dives over him or something it was hard to picture in my head but it it was very interesting as the gunslinger is hearing this story alice the keeper you know she's basically the innkeeper right she uh, used to be hot i guess but now she's not and well she has the uh, her skin's been hardened and uh, she has that scar and she wants to have some sex. Yes, she she has an itch. You know what? I thought it was funny. It was like, man, the gunslinger's getting laid pretty early on in the book. <laughs> hey, well, I'm, hey. Hey, he's getting lucky pretty early. But I thought you gotta that... Do what you gotta do. Basically, doesn't he sleep with her in exchange to hear the story? Yeah. Basically, this is what we know about Roland. He's after the man in black for some reason, and we don't know. <laughs> yeah, and he's not a particularly nice guy. Yeah, he's he's very um, suspicious of people, and he's not past not the the most terrific things to get what he needs from people. Right, he's not subtle, basically. No, no, not at all. And another thing we learned that one of his strengths is his unwavering stubbornness that he will not stop, no matter what. And so yeah. basically, Roland has decided to stay in this town for a while because the desert looms in the distance. And he doesn't know once he enters the, the desert to go after the man in black. He wants to know how big is the desert? Where does it lead to? He's kind of doing a little bit of homework before he sets on the yeah. path, right? He's kind yeah, of he resting. He goes to um, the livery guy, Kennerly, you know, asking him what exactly lies beyond the desert. You know, how far is it? And Kennerly has no idea. He's, you know, asking him questions, and Kennerly just comes back with, you know, leading answers. And he doesn't know if it's mountains. He doesn't know if it's more desert or what. Yeah, and this is kind of a clue to the kind of world they live in, where people don't go off to explore anything. They don't even know their world. How advanced is the civilization? Yeah, there's, there's no use anymore, I guess. People just stay put, I guess. I thought that was really interesting. Uh, that's one of the, my favorite things about the whole book was the little subtle hints of things. Not only what is Roland after, but where has he been and who? why is he doing this and where is he right now? And what is this strange world he lives in? You know, I, I love all those little things. And I never felt for a moment reading the book that the author didn't have an idea like i'm just typing this right now i have no idea what the hell's going on it almost felt like it was all focused they knew exactly where it was going to lead to i felt like i yeah. was in good hands basically but you yeah. know how sometimes when you read a book you're just, sometimes you like have a suspicion i wonder if you wrote this stream of consciousness <laughs> you know what i mean nah. i know that happens a lot of ways but they have like a set outline of where they're going but i felt like i was in good hands basically is what sure. i'm trying to say 
and he goes to this uh, lady Sylvia who's really creepy. Skipping over the the fact that oh, you know the yeah. first thing he does is he goes to the church. Uh, it's the it's the Sabbath. Nobody's at right. the bar. He decides to go and he kind of hangs out in the shadows. And she does the, the the bizarre thing about it was that she's a very large woman. Right. Uh, I think they said somewhere around like three hundred pounds or more. Yeah. And he saw her in like with. I think it was like rich brown hair, skins unmarked, and he felt like this this lust for her. Right. He immediately was. just was like, "Damn, hot!" <laughs> you know. Yeah, and she's she's an incredibly powerful speaker. Yeah, he and, felt uh, lust the for her. People are totally, you know, totally, absolutely obsessed with the way she speaks, and they're all getting into it. I almost forgot, Bill. We skipped over the part where Alice was whispered something by the man in black. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. We did skip over that because once he uh, revived Nort, she couldn't take it. She went upstairs to the room, and when she went down later that night, Nort was back at the table. She talked to him like nothing had ever happened, and was it Kennerly that gave her the note? Or right. was it Nort that uh, had the – from the man in black that had – all she had to do was speak the word 19 to Nort, right. and he would tell her everything about the, the afterlife. It's almost hinted that you'll know everything, and it's information you really don't want to live with. You know, it'll what I mean? drive you insane. Right. I thought that was interesting. Like, what the hell could he possibly say that would drive you insane? You know, and wouldn't it end Nort's life? Also, he would. That'd be the only way to uh, make him die again is to say the number nineteen to him. And yes, I believe so. He would tell you the truth about life after death or something like that. It was just, it was very strange. And she said all, she was obsessed with the number 19. She didn't want to say it. And Roland was telling her, you know, when you need to say it, go upstairs and shout it as loud as you can to yourself or whatever. It was basically, she's tortured by this number 19. Why would the man in black do that? May perhaps like Roland said, a trap for him later Absolutely. on. And so cut to the crazy Sylvia lady, who's very hot and sexy 300-pound woman. Yes. Talking about the interloper. She's basically doing the thing like, there's devil among you kind of thing, you know, riling the town up. He goes to confront Sylvia, right? And he wants to know about the desert. What lies in the desert? A lot of the book is him getting information from people to what lies ahead. He wants to know, are there traps ahead or whatever? And that's another thing is that uh, what we learn about the gunslinger is he seems to know about weird kind of occultist shit, doesn't he? Like demons and he has an education about this weird evil kind of stuff. He knows how to deal with it. And he, one thing that I love about his character is he never seems afraid of it. Does he? No, I don't think there's any point in it. No, no, absolutely not. He seems pretty cool with it all. He's got that lady on the ground and he's, Spreading her legs open. <laughs> well, no, this is after he what? After he goes back after uh, everybody's filed out, and he starts to talk to her about uh, uh, the man in black, and she knows who he is, and that uh, she slept with him, and that she's holding his child. Or oh the, yeah, the child of the the what was it? The Red King or something? She kind of hints at this king. She slept with the man in black. <laughs> Yeah. And there was just this weird, the weird scene there. I'm trying to remember kind of what's going on is he basically wants to pull the demon out of her. He literally takes his gun and spreads her legs and is ready to shoot the baby out of her. Wow. Yeah. 
there's there's times in the book where there's weird things like that, and you're just like, damn, you know what I mean? Like, you kind of say it out loud as you're reading it. Damn, what yeah. the hell? He goes to get his horse, and he's getting ready to go. He's got all of his water, and uh, it still seems like he's hanging around. He goes to go back to the um, the saloon, and that's whenever uh, Allie runs out saying that she couldn't help it. She... She said 19 to Norton. Basically, everyone loses their shit. Right. She said, I said 19, and I don't want to live with it. She says, kill me, or whatever. So I was like, wow, that's pretty bad. <laughs> so whatever she heard wasn't good, right? No. So immediately the town is coming after him. You know, the whole, like, pitchforks, knives, they all, you know, they're after Frankenstein kind of thing, the whole townspeople. And when she says, kill me now, he immediately just shoots her right in the head. Yeah. No no hesitation whatsoever. And the whole thing, you know, all these, uh, this great, that's why I love this chap, this part of the book, weren't you just reading through it like really fast, just pouring through it? Like, you know, as the town was coming after him, he was shooting, you know, he's reloading and he does this cool trick, apparently, where he can reload guns really fast. And uh, I just, I was really interested in all that, like the whole idea that he's finally, he's drawing his weapons for the first time that we see, and he's using them, and unfortunately he's killing women and children along with the men in the town, because they're all like possessed in a way, they're all like, uh, I don't know, what do you call them, they just want to rip them apart, right, they're kind of enraged yeah, they're rage yeah. zombies, right? Basically, they, right? they have the rage virus all they, of a sudden. They have, and he's, you know, he's bullying left and right. And there's this one line where it says, uh, "A young boy stabs him in the side. He blows his head off, or whatever." You know, it's just like, yeah. "Whoa!" The gunslinger blew his head off. It's like, damn. And there's, yeah, it just makes <clears throat> me think. Like, I mean, when, when, I guess when maybe whenever Nort spoke after. Uh, Ali uh, said uh, 19, everybody that was there heard it, and it kind of just filtered out to everyone. Right. Yeah, it it's almost like some kind of whatever spell or whatever happened, that caused everything to go to shit where they went after Roland. And yeah. it's almost like what something made her desperate. She definitely didn't want Roland to leave. No. And it's like he was getting ready to leave her defensives broke down and she had to say 19 to the guy to Nort. And that, well, and also, I, you know, I tend to forget here that the townspeople are also going after him because they've got that Sylvia, you know, egg him on screaming that he's the antichrist. He's the interloper that she told them about the fornicator. Uh, yeah. That they've got to bring him down. And that, that, you know, that's probably, you know, the heat of religious fervor, you know, being led on by this preacher, so they just all start going at him. Right. So they he's gotten rid of Sylvia, and now they're all after him. And I think, what was it? Uh, the town of Toll had 39 men, 14 women, and 5 kids. And he kills all of them. Yeah. Now, I, I loved how, the with Sylvia, he, she was uh, carrying uh, crosses in each hand, and he... Just has time to shoot the crosses and her. <laughs> yes. He shoots the crosses out of her hand. One thing we automatically know is he's really good with his gun. He's yeah, and just the description of the way he reloads the bullets and how with each bullet, you know, removing it, it singes his finger from the how the heat of the barrel of the gun or of the uh, the chamber. Right. 
Yeah, you know, so he's obviously firing these things at a at a heavy click. Right, just he's doing the hammer thing. He's anywhere he's going pow 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 pow. Yeah, once he kills the preacher, then then whoever's left starts retreating and then he starts taking them out as they're running away, shooting them in the back of the head. Yeah. And everything. I mean, he just keeps going. It doesn't matter that they're running away. He he's like now that he's it started, he's got to kill every last resident in tall. They're all dead. He's standing there, and you just see a trail of bodies going right up to where he's standing. He gets cut a few times, too. I believe people yeah. whack him, and they stab him and stuff. So he didn't get out of it unscathed, but he's fine. But uh, he's definitely disturbed about what happened in Toll, and that's why he had to yeah, tell the whole story. It's like he said, the trail of the bodies led all the way back to the honky-tonk. And that's whenever he sees uh, Nort's body on the roof. Right, they like tied him up. For some reason, they really didn't like that guy, did they? No, I guess they didn't. <laughs> they didn't like him uh, eating grass. So I, I thought when that chapter was done, I was just like, okay, I'm hooked. I'm going to keep reading yeah. this book. That was awesome and disturbing at the same time. The weird stuff with Sylvia, the the weird stuff with Nort, the whole uh, you know well, it, it, having to kill. Yeah, and that that also gets into the fact that I mean, it was. The shootout was the ultimate trap. I mean, the tall itself was a trap, but you know, it just the way he reacts without thinking. The the man in black knows this, and he he, obviously (laughs) knows Roland to a deep level to the point where he knows exactly how to manipulate it. He knows that he'll see the town. He knows that it'll be a trap, but he also knows that he can't turn away. That he has to keep going. And I could see how, if you were a bad guy or whatever the Man in Black is, how he'd have fun just going, oh, here's this guy again. I can't believe this guy. He really does. He really does want to find me, doesn't he? <laughs> this guy. He just never stops. Oh, and the Man in Black's the cake boss all of a sudden. I don't understand what's Oh, no. <laughs> so during the whole book, like I said, there's flashbacks. And we f- get little flashbacks to when Roland was young. I don't know at what point has he gotten to the way station yet when we've already seen no. him as a boy yet? No, with with Tall, it goes through Tall and then he uh it's done and he it goes back to him at Brown with Brown in the um the the little underground hovel yeah. that Brown lives in and he's like, you know, Brown asks him if he feels better now that he's told the tale and I think Roland says something like why should he feel bad? And Brown says because he's human, you know, and it, it just there's just uh, Brown. So? I think Brown <laughs> makes like a, like he says like you know obviously you're very close to the man in black, so <laughs> I think that makes him uh, want to you know get out and get going. Yeah, I think it's also when he first shows up uh, again with Brown, uh, he says, "Was he here?" in because it's a desert and you kind of live day to day. He's like, I couldn't tell you how long ago it was, but yeah, he was here. It's like nobody really knows. And it gives that balance with Brown. Like, you know, Roland is like a, you know, he's a cold blooded killer, you know, but he likes Brown. There's, you know, there's a, there's a humanity inside of him. Right. He's, I don't know how you describe him, but he seems He's a uh, complex, let's say that. <laughs> yeah. Screw you, and the horse you rode in on. Oh. Thank you, Zoltan. 
So basically, uh, what is it? He gets to the way station, and there's just a whole bit of him walking in the desert for on and on, thinking about the past. He doesn't think he's going to make it. You know, his water runs out, and he's walking. And I love that he sees in the distance, it was the man in black. And he pulls his guns. He's like, I forget what he says. It's basically like, free sucker! <laughs> you know, essentially that. <laughs> and then as he gets close enough, he sees it's not the man in black. And, oh, I think I'm going to pass out now. And he's like... Phew. And that's when he wakes up and introduces Jake. And I thought Jake's story was very interesting. He's a young boy who's in this way station all by himself. He's helping Roland, who's passed out. He's exhausted. He needs water. And I love the visual of him, you know, kind of laying on the ground, staring up. And when Jake goes to get water, he hears some weird hum. And then he comes back with fresh water. And he doesn't know what that sound is. But what we learn is there's machines here from before when the world was different that still work. And it was some kind of pump or something for water. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Jake talks about how he doesn't know what he's doing here. He doesn't remember. The man in black was here, but he was afraid of him. So he stayed inside and just watched him the whole time as he made camp. And uh, what did you think about Jake's story of where he came from? And he remembered New York. Well, yeah, he, you know, describes what is obviously Manhattan, but uh, Roland has no idea what he's talking about. And that's whenever it reveals this whole little thing that uh, Roland has the ability to hypnotize. Oh, yeah, with the shell. Yeah, with the shell. And, uh, you know, Jake agrees and he hypnotizes him. And Jake tells the whole story about how uh, he was the only child of rich parents Goes to a private school, has uh, you know cooks, nannies, tutors. That his parents don't hate him, but they have seemed to overlook him. I think is what it said. Yeah, they don't really pay attention that, to him. Yeah, that they're very busy with their own lives, and that Jake kind of raises himself and becomes you know he talks a, a little bit professional about, kid. He talks a little about how he loves his housekeeper or something like. Yeah, they, she calls him Bama for some reason. Yeah, I thought. I, I like little details like that. It's teased that Jake sees the man in black out of the corner of his eyes. He goes across the street, and the man in black pushes Jake in front of a car. And uh, what was it? As, he, as he's lying dying in the street, the man in black, uh, who turns out to be a priest, uh, wants to perform an act of contrition on Jake. And then that's when Jake dies uh, on the, the pavement. And he wakes up there at the way yeah. station. Yeah. Not knowing what the hell's going on. So somehow he's died in, you know, this version of our world in the, you know, late... I think it kind of teased it to be like the late 70s, early 80s. And uh, wakes up here. And he doesn't know. And he's forgetting things every day. Yeah, he keeps forgetting things more and more. And he, his name isn't even Jake. He says, my name is something, but call me Jake. My friends call me... Or his name is John, but my friends call me Jake or something like yeah, that. Yeah, his name is John Chambers, Jake for short. Right. And I love the idea of the way station. Just, you know, you picture it in your mind. Everything is so vivid. Just like a run-down coach station. Like you think it's, you know, and that obviously they mentioned something about cars or something that had traveled along that way before. So I'd almost think it's like a like an old gas station. Right. And they just call it a way station. 
and like because, an old mini mart and it's that's now gone. And it's something because where else? Where else did Jake get the uh, the jerky from? And remember, down in the basement, the cellar, there's a bunch of food down there, canned goods yeah. and stuff. And that's when they go down there, and you get the first sense of uh, he sees mutant spiders, mutated bugs, and spiders. Like a ten- yeah, he asked Jake if there's uh, there's any other food, and he says, "Yeah, there's a basement. It's the only it's the only place that stinks because the sun has burnt the smell out of everything else around." And he said he was afraid to go down there because the ladder might break and he wouldn't be able to get back up. And immediately, Roland likes Jake. Yeah, and even says one day, you know, soon I would love him with all of his heart or whatever. And uh, he goes down there, and he's getting food. Yeah, there's some ten-legged spiders and stuff like that, but no big deal, right? <laughs> but then something starts banging on the wall. What is it like? The possessed spirit of the chick from Tall, right? It speaks with. It's a demon that speaks with the voice. Right. Of it's Allie. not. It's not her. It's like an animated corpse of some yeah. long dead body, but it's with the voice of Allie. Yeah, and I I, I wrote down. It says the. Uh, it tells him to go slow past the drawers, gunslinger. While you travel with the boy, the man in black travels with your soul in his pocket. And that's whenever Roland punches through the, the crack in the wall, reaches inside, and pulls out the jawbone. Right, he takes the jawbone off the uh, the corpse that was possessed. Which I was like, oh, that's interesting. Souvenir, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, got me a, I got me a nice souvenir here. But we learn later on what he needs that jaw for, which I thought was cool. Yeah. I thought all that stuff was cool. I love that he punched through the wall. Like, I'm not afraid of something talking to me through the wall. No big deal, right? He's obviously dealt with this sort of thing before, not to get that shaken up. But when it, once he gets back up there, uh, you know, it's like, well, we got to get out of here. I think they stay one one more night and then they leave in the morning or something. And then you're going to have to remind me of this. Basically, when we have little flashbacks to when uh, Roland was young and he had his pals. Was it Cuthbert? Yeah, Cuthbert and... um, What was it? Was it Paul, one of them? What is... (laughs) No, I don't... I think it was... um, There was Cuthbert. There was... Court was the teacher. I'm going to just start randomly naming names. (laughs) Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to look through trying to think back of uh what their names were but he went to school his school chums that were all in the gunslingers they were in the gunslinger academy gunslinger padawans nice. essentially right and you know there was little hints here and there where they were basically of a kind of stock their families they were the breed that would be turned into gunslingers, right? That's where they were, like a, a school that taught gunslingers. So immediately things start capturing my imagination. Whoa, uh, some place where gunslingers were like the, uh, were they the form of the law? Were they just the form, were there some kind of military? What were they? I don't know. They were, I, I would almost think that they were like the, uh, the elite soldier, you know, or the the soldier of the court. Because you immediately learn that they have uh, different kind of traditions. Mm-hmm. And remember, oh, I believe the first flashback is them with the hawk, David, right? Yeah, with David, yeah. And we first are introduced to his hawk and how, you know, no one can befriend a hawk unless you're another hawk yourself. <laughs> you know, they kind of yeah. say, and we immediately... And that's when Cuth- Cuthbert messes up with the hawk. He lets it fly. 
but he does it wrong, and then uh, Court, the teacher, just beats the living shit out of him. This Court, the guy who's teaching them to be gunslingers, where he is an asshole. Yes, <laughs> he's like he's, an- he's beating on children basically to whip them into shape, and they all detest him. They hate him yeah. so much. And you feel sorry for Cuthbert, and Roland even knows that Cuthbert won't really make the cut. Well, I, I think that it's not that he won't make the cut. It's it's actually I think Cuthbert actually has is a is stronger than Roland in a way. Uh, he he says he's smarter, beating. right? Yeah, yeah. Cuthbert can take the beating, but it's almost like I don't know. Maybe he doesn't have the stubbornness Roland has. But he, Roland just knows that. Whatever Cuthbert has, he ha- he can do more in life than just be a gunslinger, in a way. I don't know. Yeah. He sees more potential in the, than just this kind of life, I guess. Yeah. And there was the whole thing. I know I'm skipping ahead, but I don't remember when it happens, Bill. But the whole part with the cook. How yeah, he- well, that actually happens. That happens now. It's like uh, after uh, Court beats on Cuthbert, it says that's it for the day. And he, that he has to go uh, without supper for the night. And sends them off, and that's whenever uh, Roland tells Cooper that, "Hey, we can just go to the, the, um, the you know, the back kitchen or whatever." And Hacks, the cook, will uh, give us stuff. He always does. Right, the kitchen cook, Hacks. You know, it was just so vivid the way that they said the kitchen and all the little workers working on all yeah, the food. Yeah, you could totally and... see it in your mind's eye. Just and the whole buzz of like this castle kitchen like the you know i could you kind of blend all the things that you've seen like the medieval kind of places and then right put a put kind of a, a modern spin on Th- that's what i love okay immediately when something is suggested in the book you think old t- old west almost yeah. like like the way station like you said then you get these sudden hit, subtle hints and all of a sudden it turns in your mind from this old ramshackle shack to this is like an old gas station or something yeah and that's what's so cool about and the world moved on you keep hearing that is that this is like a new kind of old west in a way but where a more advanced civilization used to be yeah well maybe even a parallel civilization to our own because it's mentioned at one point that there's a guy who becomes obsessed with a uh with a gas pump that oh, has yeah. Amico lead free on it and he starts basically a cult that starts worshipping this old pump right I love that and he said the man was prone to holding the hose between his legs <laughs> yeah. with the spout and uh, I guess he would hey ladies check this out <laughs> This is, this is Amico lead free thunder god pipe. They're like, oh, they're like, praise your pump or whatever. And the the cool thing about man, that hacks, he was such a nice guy. He's making us food. Let's go hide under yeah. the stairs. <laughs> well, no, he gives them a huge meal and then tells them to go get the dessert from one of the helpers, Maggie. Yeah, so you know, that's whenever, <laughs> I remember that name. Yeah, that's whenever they um, they're on their way, and then the 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 other guy, what is it called, a scullery boy, comes in with a guard. And remember, they're the they're being sneaky because uh, I believe Court did not want Cuthbert to get any food because he no, was bad that no. day. So they're, that's why they're being sneaky anyway. Thankfully yeah, for they're them, eating their dessert outside on the um, on the stairs, and they're like right there above Hacks and the guard where they come to talk. And that's when they start, Hacks and the guard, they start talking about 
poisoning everyone? Yeah, there's a plan to kill people, uh, kill the people of Farson with uh, poisoned meat, and that they're doing it in the name of the good man. Right, and who's the good man? We don't know yeah, at, at the at we the don't, time. We don't quite know that yet. So basically, they've uncovered two traitors. Like, what the hell? Well, see, that's the tough thing. Hacks didn't want to do it. He didn't want to, you know, because if you poison the meat, you're going to kill everyone, including small children. He just wasn't up for that. Uh But the guard tells him, you know, it's for the greater good, and the children won't feel any pain because it's poison. So that's whenever the boys know. And this this is another thing. This is where Roland, you know, hears this, and he's like, Hacks, no, he can't be doing this. But Cuthbert, he looks at him and automatically knows that you know, Cuthbert's ready to turn him in right then and there, the moment he hears it. You know, whereas whereas Roland has, like, this this crisis of conscience. Yeah, almost like a, this loyalty to the friendly cook, you know? Like, he yeah. wouldn't do that. He seems like a nice guy. And there's subtle hints of wherever, at this time and place that Roland is living, there's some kind of revolt happening, a rebellion. Civil war, I guess, is what the word is. Yeah, there is a type of civil war, and obviously that's being led by the good man. And whatever whatever is existing in this way of life where uh, they live in this nice place, or his dad has this whatever job he has, that is slowly going to crumble as he's a child and you know he does grow much bigger you know he grows older but it's almost like the hints that things are going to start getting bad yeah, that way well, everything's crumbling down around them they're like this regal line the the what was it the 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 line of eld or the house of eld where you know that we don't quite know where they came from or how long they've been around or uh there's a mention of um Whenever uh, Roland's just starting to get to know Jake, and he's telling him stories, where he asks him if he knows about uh, King Arthur, and he's like, "Yeah, you know," or, or the other way around. Jake asks him if he knows about King Arthur, and Roland says, "Yeah, uh, God, it's something," but he knows all about it. Like King Arthur obviously existed in this realm, and right. Roland's somehow connected to him. And also, they—I forgot to mention—they mention Man Jesus quite a bit. Yeah, they do. They do mention the man Jesus. Like at one point, some a man gives uh, Roland a compass and asks him to give it to the man Jesus. But, you know, Roland says, sure, he'll do it. But it's kind of worthless because you get this idea that because the world is the world has moved on. It's like everything's in chaos. Like one direction, you might be traveling one direction east and then the next day it's a completely different direction. Like everything is messed up. A compass will do no good. For it's anybody, a worthless but, item. Yeah. So it's just the the way the world is in mass chaos. Something it's, it's so interesting. Yeah, it is. It's something got toppled over. Something is off in this world he's in that yeah, nothing makes like, sense. I think there was a mention that sometimes the sun will set and sometimes the sun won't set at all. Like there's no rhyme or reason to what's going on. And Something also, is severely out of balance. When you were talking about, like, in the flames, people thought they saw demons or whatever. I love how he says even, what was it, the crabgrass? Sometimes it looked like things looking at you or lurking in the shadows or whatever. There's, yeah. like, this hinted evil that's just under the surface everywhere, in a way. It's it's very creepy. That's what, I love that kind of underlying kind of uh, threat 
yeah. that's going on. Like there's this this even how he confronts the uh, the demon in the way station uh, basement. You know, there's there's obviously this like this wall has broken down where you know the 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 different levels of life or you know supernatural things have have merged like yeah. there's no barrier anymore they exist out in the open and people see yeah. them and in fact roland doesn't seem phased by it at all he's used to it yeah he's, he has an education about it he knows how to handle it or he knows that it can't hurt him so he's not afraid of that it's interesting that's what i love also you know how the, we talked about how he does his little trick where he can hypnotize you you wonder where he picked that up, or maybe that's part of his training. He goes stare at my bullet, and he does his little trick, and then you're in a trance again. I thought that's yeah. cool. Were you getting kind of a Jedi vibe a little bit here? I was. I definitely was. And in fact, I was reading that um, before Stephen King went back and changed some things, I guess because he just didn't like the wording of it, he had used uh, the term parsecs in the book. And changed it to eternity. So there's definitely some Star Warsy influences, right? And was he influenced by Star Wars, or had he already written it? No, I think uh, he just started writing it around the same time. It was released in like little uh, bits to some uh, magazine, right? The but first I think bit it, it was, was released the same in point in time in '78. Yeah, the Gunslinger story. It was the the magazine of fantasy and science fiction. The first bit of it was released October seventy eight. So, if Star Wars was released and in really what, the, May of seventy eight, and you got to think of this too, Bill, because even besides that, if you go back to a New Hope, all of that stuff about Jedi's is very subtly hinted at. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. So, so what we see in the Gunslinger or about the the gunslingers and that order it's different and it's much more detailed and i'd almost say that you know that idea is more fully realized than what we get in star wars you know what i mean sure what the jedi will become but it's also interesting that it says that it took king 12 and a half years to finish the first book is that true yeah i believe he put it away and then went back to it holy crap m daddio in the chat room says that uh it would be in the early 70s that he started it yeah, that's a, if you read the you know in the forward, it almost sounds like he started like in 1970, or he came up with the idea. Maybe perhaps he was jotting things down. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Something like that. Anyway, that's really cool. That's what I like uh, the little details of the past, and that you, it makes you want to know more, doesn't it? Like, what the hell? Where did he come from? Where are these people? And sure. I want to know more about the gunslingers and what happened to them. Because we don't get that in this book. You get the the hinting of it, but wouldn't you say this entire book is just like, ah, here's uh this is gonna get you guys prepared for the next book. You know? Yeah, I think that's they you know, most people read a book for an ending, whereas mm-hmm. this book is all about the the story and the setup of it. You know, there's no there's no true linear story in the book. It's just more of a uh you know, what happens is he goes from point A to point B, and between those points, it fills you in for the next book. Right, or that's for what the I series. Learned. It's he wants the man in black for a reason we don't know. Yeah, and he, he doesn't know. He just knows that it has something to do with the tower. He has no idea what it is. It just and has he doesn't. To do, with it. do you get the idea? He doesn't even really know about the tower either. No, he doesn't. No. Uh, 
Yeah, there, no, he doesn't know. Someone set him on this course too, and they gave him. They set him on his mission, what it seems like, and he only has a a little bit of knowledge of what he of what he's after, and that's what I like. He when he learns of things, we learn it at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say right now, it reminded me of Lost in the way that when he would be reminded of something and reflect back to his past, you know? Sure. Like I was saying, I could even almost hear that sound of where it goes, <laughs> you know, it goes back yeah. to the past. So there was an interesting bit here and we'll, we're, we're going to take a break after this, but the part about going to see hacks hanged. Yeah. Court gives them the, the stale bread to put underneath him. He, that's when we uh, get to meet Roland's dad, and his dad's kind of proud of him. He did the right thing, or he did his duty, or whatever. Yeah. And uh, you get to see his dad has his guns that would one day be Roland's. Mm-hmm. They would be. He would add some kind of like uh, plate. He adds to, a plate to him to uh, because his father was uh, shorter and lighter. So he adds a plate to add more weight to him. I love little details like that. I'm a sucker for all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Mm-hmm. The minutia that kind of really creates the world and the character. And you get the sense there that his dad's very distracted. He's got a lot of responsibilities. He's got mm-hmm. the weight, more weight on his shoulders, and he's he's just got, he's busy, you know? Yeah. We don't get really get to see much of his dad, but when we do, it seems like he's got a lot of shit on his mind where he can't yeah, really... Yeah, he appreciates that, you know, he has the time with Roland to uh, talk to him about what happened and how Roland feels and everything. But then after that, that's it. He's never mentioned again. It's just that, that short, except for bit. later on at that weird ball type gala thing, that yeah. ceremony. But doesn't he say this, your decisions now pretty much say what kind of person, what kind of man you will become. Yeah. The decision you made here. And he even compliments Cuthbert, your much smarter friend or something like that. Yeah. It says that, you know, Cuthbert's obviously smarter, but you're, more stubborn or something. It's almost like I can see them like two guys, their best friends. One obviously is a bruiser, kind of like Roland. You know that he could win in a fight. Cuthbert is like the smart buddy or something. Mm-hmm. By no means do I, you know, do we get the hint that he's a wimp or anything, but no, you see, just different. he's a more calculated kind of guy. And the whole thing where they get to go to the hanging and he gives them the bread to put under the feet of hacks so the birds will uh, come in. I love all of that imagery, didn't you? Yeah. And watching the people arrive to see it. And, this guy was and then like, how the moment it's done, they just clear out. Yeah. I thought that that was all very cool. And that it, during the conversation with his father, he says, you know, listen, if it wasn't hacks, it would be someone else because the people want it. The people need it. Yeah, the people are demanding some kind of... Uh, Retribution for this guy. I mean, for Christ's sakes, the guy was willing to poison him as a kid, so he deserved to get hanged, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, but that was another thing. Like, they didn't even give him a chance to talk. They asked him if he had any final words, and they they hung him like mid set. Oh yeah, you're right. Do you have any words? Yes, I'd like to. <laughs> <laughs> Screw you. <laughs> yeah, that, that was great. So, Bill, what do you say we take a break and we come back and we finish up? Our first ever episode of the Mulberry Book Club where we talk about the gunslinger. All right. Because God knows I got to go to the bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We'll be right back. Screw you and the horse you rode in on. Call 
calling all boys for army gear. Weapons check. Your pistol private looks real tough. Get your missiles, Mike. My troops are stuck. Hear the grenade. Sure goes far. Here's the tower. My troops are in Army gear. What's that compass that I see? Look out. My troops are Join the Army Gear, the Army in an Army. Open to reveal two worlds of battle action from Galoo. It's cool. It's me, a sparkling freak. You've never seen anything like this. Hey, we sparkle. We sparkle crap again. We keep cool and we sparkle if we show you the way. Give us a try and we'll sparkle up your game. Wake up, it's time to go to sleep. But not until you've seen the next Punky Brewster. Hey, Dr. Brewster, right. She'll keep you in stitches. No, not me. And Henry gets wrapped up in the excitement. No. <laughs> yes. But let me explain. It's one shocking experience after another. And that's not all. Are you kidding? Nope. You'll laugh your head off on Punky Brewster. Here they come. Hit and run. Big surprise. Pocket size. Audiences are cheering Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. It was kind of uh, like Fast Times at Ridgemount High. Back to the future. Excellent. Very bodacious. Ah! Party, dude. It didn't stop for a minute. It's kind of movie that girls will like because they're adorable. Excellent. Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. Rated PG. Now playing at theaters everywhere. Cobra better move fast. A Yankee blast will blow him away! Nobody needs G.I. Joe, G.I. Joe marching blast! Look out, Cobra! Those big studded tires will roll over anything! Nobody needs G.I. Joe! Yo, Joe! I'm a skateboarder! I'm a New Pretender Transformers are here! Decepticon pretenders, too. Pretender Transformers. Oh, pocket power. The jet blast Carl. The cycle moves Tim. The race car revs Rob. The counters with Jim. Going pocket power crazy for excitement there is. Power that packs in your pocket. Oh, pocket power. Riding down on the road. There's loads of action. Wherever you go. Going pocket power crazy for excitement there is. Power that packs in your pocket. Give power, ten dynamite kinds, new from Tycho. Ah, gobbledygook. What's its face? What you call it? Whatever it is, whatever it was. Chocolatey chocolate. What you call it? How's it go? Wowzamadu. Chew gooey caramel. What you call it? Do hickeys. You know what I mean. Peanutty crispies.
and the one that's closest to the edge wins. Tricksters, over 45 power-packed racers that do hundreds of killer stunts. Pull them back and pop in a penny for wild wheelie action. Or race your friends through any stunt challenge. Racers sold separately, new from Tonka. Are these your drugs? Look, Dad, it's Where did you get it? Answer me. Who taught you how to do this stuff? You, all right? I learned it by watching you. Parents who use drugs have children who use drugs. You can get a free Keds kite when you buy selected styles of Keds shoes right now. Potato head and his bucket of parts. Buckets are fun for everyone. To make a million silly faces, it's the place to start. Put them all together and take them all apart. It's Mr. Potato Head. Ah, yes. Apparently they know that in this world that Roland's in also. Everybody's got to know that. Everyone knows that song. All right, do you remember what we were talking about last, Bill? (laughs) I think we ended with the end of... um, Basically the the way station and all that. Yeah, and that's over that the... uh, We talked about hacks being hung. And this is when they they go on this crazy kind of... uh, Remember, they've been in the desert forever. And, Mm -hmm. you know, each night as they're going to sleep, he he seems to like Jake more and more. And Jake kind of puts on this this air of toughness for Roland. You know, he kind of wants to emulate him. He doesn't want to seem like a wimp to Roland. And he's doing a good job of... You know, carrying his weight and he's willing to carry the bags and he doesn't complain. You know, he's really starting to like this kid, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, they're they're just going through the desert forever. And this is when they get to the mountains, right? Yes, the, it is. Is this the point where they see the man in black as like a speck? They, do. they see him. Yeah, they see him scaling the mountain, and he's like a speck, real far away. But it almost looks like you reach up and grab him. <laughs> yeah, they said that. Uh... Jake asks them if they'll catch him, and uh, Roland says that they will, but probably on the other side. But only if they get going again. And, you know, there's this whole part, uh, this uh, this prose. It's all about 
the climbing and finding your footing and you know and at the same time Roland is thinking back to things and you do you like how his inner monologue is kind of like this isn't like me to reflect on things from the past but he can't help mm-hmm. it it's like he can't help it because I don't know the monotony of what he's doing just all the walking the climbing and he just can't help it. his mind wanders about the past well that and, and especially now with Jake because yeah, I think there's a, a line about how he you know it looks at the uh he he starts to realize that Jake's going to be a sacrifice, and he uh, starts to. Uh, Does he even know it at this point yet? Yeah, because that's what the. Um, well, uh, before he visits the demon in the way station, he knows that this, it, it's the man in black set Jake there as a trap. Right, and the way the kid told it is the man in black was there. Why did he snatch him from his own world to to put him there in Roland's way? Exactly. What what did the man like put him there for? Almost to make him does he is like make me fall in love with this kid and care for him just to know he will be ripped from me to even cause me more pain or something. Mm-hmm. It's some kind of sadistic thing, or is there more to it? I don't know. And you know what? I think there's more to it, but from what we see just right now, it's kind of the sadistic thing. And almost like at this point in the book, I'm like, well, what are they talking about? Well, why does this have to happen? This caw, or uh, I hope I'm saying this that right. The caw? Yeah, the caw. Why in this world where everything's topsy-turvy, it, how can you have your destiny planned out like that? You know, where things will... That's what's interesting is that they... Let's go get to the part where basically they're climbing the mountains forever and finally they reach green there's grass, there's lush area of trees, everything's beautiful. It's like they've just come up, I don't know, if they found the Garden of Eden or something. It's just this beautiful area, right? They've made camp, and there's this weird stone area. And what is it, Jake wanders off in the middle of the night, and he goes to look for him? Yeah, I th- well, I think he's startled out of his dream. I think the gunslinger's having a dream where he dreams about Susan his uh, love from a, another time and yeah. she's being burned alive. And then, yeah, there's stuff we don't know anything about. And we forgot about that is Sheb, the piano player knew the gunslinger from a long time ago. When he saw him, he knew he knew him from that time when they yeah. did that thing to Susan. And, uh, he sees Jake with a spike in his forehead and that startles him out of the sleep. And, and he, that's he, whenever he can't find Jake and he's gone. Yeah. And it turns out to be some kind of would you call it a succubus? Well, yeah, it says it's a it's a clearing of the of a ring of tall black stones, and uh, yeah, I think it's an well, it's called an oracle, but it, it is it's basically a succubus. My favorite thing it, he it calls her is on the the passion of men. My favorite thing he calls her is star slut. Yes, <laughs> star slut, whatever you That's are. Such a great name. But he basically he rescues Jake by holding up the jawbone and it repels the, the demon. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, that's what that jawbone's for? It's to ward off demons. That's pretty handy to have around, isn't it? Yeah, maybe it's like once one demon possesses it, another can't. I don't know. There's some something weird going on with jawbones. <laughs> yeah. I don't know about this jawbone thing. I know. It's, it's good to have around, though. I need to get me one of those. Yeah, it's maybe, you know... 
I'll raid the the local graveyard. The, uh, Jason, what? Why do you have this jawbone? Oh, it's a ward off demons. Yeah, it keeps me safe. Thanks. <laughs> this guy's way too much into this book. <laughs> <laughs> so it's funny how I just remember different things, but I don't remember what order they happen. I know that well, he. he- take some uh, drugs and then goes to visit her again. <laughs> well, not quite yet, but it's like he, he gets Jake away from her first. Right, he protects and, Jake uh, and he makes Jake hold onto the jawbone and he thinks it's disgusting. Yeah. It's like, eh. And, and it's, uh, there was a line in it that he could he said he could feel the mocking laughter coming from the man in black high above. You know, whenever he, uh, he brings Jake back from the Oracle and looks down at his innocent innocent face and hugs him knowing that he loves the boy and that th- at that moment he knows that he fell for the trap that the man in black set for him that son of a bitch <laughs> so uh, and, then, and then it's the next morning that Roland gives Jake the jawbone and he uh, takes a drop of the mescaline and goes to the first of all through the whole book Roland has a never ending supply of tobacco right he's always lighting up and smoking but then you find out that he's got this mescaline he's been saving for a while. Yeah. It's like, Just in huh? case he runs aco- across a supernatural being. So he, has he, to... so he uses this to trip and go talk to the demon, right? Yeah. And he basically uh, he questions her about the man in black and what's going to happen, the, what lies ahead of him. Will he ever talk to the man in black? Because even though he's, he's positive that he will meet the man in black and get what he wants from him he still you know you got to have some doubt after being going this far right <laughs> will yeah. i make it there and i think the craziest thing about it was that the um the oracle disguised herself as susan the the woman that he loved right and i can't remember the city it was like megs or magus or something was it called mead meat something i something with an m m e i can't remember Right, and I don't know what transpired, but hopefully we'll find out. I'm sure we will, or yeah, Stephen King's a jerk. To. But uh, <laughs> but this is what this is where he hears the prophecy, and that uh, three is the number of his fate, and uh, that the the first of the three is young and dark haired and is possessed by a demon called heroin. The second comes on wheels; her mind is strong, but her heart is soft, and the third is in chains. And that the the man in black is near and he will speak to the gunslinger about the tower. And that Jake is the gunslinger's gateway to the man in black. And then the man in black is the gunslinger's gate to the three. And that the three will lead him to the dark tower. And you know, it's funny when I read that, it was like, okay, wait, I'm going to start at the top of the page again. And just read, <laughs> read it a second time. Yeah. And remember she kept saying when he would ask the wrong question or it was too precise it would say i can only read this much this is the way it is or whatever and she'd keep repeating it whenever you'd say something ask something wrong and he'd be like damn you i can't remember what exactly did she say this is fate you cannot be questioned or something like that yeah and he i think the other thing that was interesting was that she said that you know if he truly loves jake he can be spared if he just ceases his pursuit yeah he gets heads west yeah there's much need for a man like you a man with a gun go far away and he's like my hell i can't do that <laughs> so basically i don't know why i'm hunting him but i, I got to hunt him 
yeah, he he could turn away and live a long life and take care of Jake and maybe one day come back to this pursuit, but that's not going to happen, right? And what's interesting, though, what will you learn by the end of the book? I'm just thinking of a small detail. Maybe he did have time to do that. I don't know. What? Well, I'm just thinking of later on in the book. Do we want to skip ahead that far? But no. I'll just no, I'd, I'd wait. It's a little detail that I th- just thought of. But anyway, he's like, well, anyway, do what you will with me, demon. And he has some demon sex for a while, doesn't he? Yeah, and then he breaks it off and, and goes back to camp. And the poor thing, she's like, no, that's not enough. I wanted more sex. And she's just trapped. Is the It's like a female demon. I don't know what it is, but it's yeah, just it's trapped a, there. She's trapped in that, that circle of stones. That's so weird. Do you think she has always been there or the man bike put her there? Who knows? Maybe we'll find out later. That's a strange Maybe we'll never hear of her again. The star slut. The star slut. Yeah. Did she have uh, a name? I can't remember. No. Just the Oracle. Just the Oracle. Whore of the winds, he called her. Star slut, whore of the winds. (laughs) I love that. Great names. And, you know, there's this little bit. I remember as soon as he goes back to camp, Jake says, you're sick. And I read it like this. You are sick. <laughs> Meaning Jake watched the whole thing. He goes, dude, you had sex with a demon. <laughs> but no, what Jake was saying was, you're sick. He's yeah. like, no, I'll be fine. But it's funny just how the first thing I read, it was like, dude, you're sick. That was so gross. I can't believe you did that. He's like, hey, I, I need some information. I did what I had to do. But doesn't it seem like it's so weird that Jake takes on this new kind of persona where he's like, I know you're going to let me die. I know what yeah, you have to do. Yeah, the moment that happens, he knows. How does he know? Maybe the Oracle told him. I, I, I tend to, I forget. I'm, I don't have it written down in front of me. <laughs> I had I a lot of see. questions during this book. Like certain so things I. like that. Like, like, la why? La why does he have to die? La who? And there's a whole bit, I don't even know if it happens here, but the flashback to the the grand ceremony, right? And there's a shitload of food everywhere. You got gunslingers, you got women. They're all, like, dudded up and everything looks awesome. And aren't they, like, peeking over, like, a... I don't know how young they are. but Yeah, I'm not sure how old they are at that point. Meanwhile, um, other stuff has happened with court since then, hasn't it? I don't... I can't remember, but... I Yeah, I think that was after... Um, well, we haven't gotten to the point where he actually becomes the gunslinger against Court. Right. And I think this happened before then. What it set up was he remembers his mom and his dad sitting at this table. And his dad looked very important and all that. And his mom danced with this man. And it looked like they were doing more than just dancing. Yeah, Martin. And now, it's even now when he reflects on it, he realizes what was going on. But he wasn't sure when he was a child. He just kind of had... At that moment, he's just kind of like, huh, there's something off about this. But now when he thinks back, it's like, dude, that guy was totally banging my mom, is what he thinks. Yeah, this is also, I think it's kind of like where, this is where Jake asks him where he came from. And he says that he was from a land called New Canaan, which is the land of milk and honey described in the Bible. And that uh, he thinks back how his, his land slowly deteriorated. How all those in his life were killed one by one, and he was the only one left. And that he took the uh, sworn oath by his fathers uh, 
to find the the man in black and seek revenge. And this is, he said, he's been pursuing the man in black for twelve years since the walls first fell on his land, and after the revolution and war that followed it. And the only three left from the gunslinger's time are him, the man in black, and the tower. There's different parts in the book where he'll reflect on someone that he knew from his past, like good old Cuthbert, or there's Alan, or no, it was Jamie. Jamie, Jamie, and Alan and Cuthbert, and Thomas was just some boy he knew, I guess. Yeah, I'm not sure about. I Thomas. have this list of characters, but it says boyhood. I, I doubt Thomas. I don't it know. says boyhood companion of Gunslinger. <laughs> 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 Who else, Thomas? I gotta go back and read this. So uh, anyway, I think he was just there in one scene, you know, when they're hanging out or whatever. Maybe he was there at that ceremony where they're all peeking over. That's entirely possible. There's this weird moment. The guy's name is Martin, right? With an E? Yeah. Martin. And he seemed, the way he was dressed, like real tight leggings with the white shirt showing his chest. I was just like, what? And he's like, boy, come here and see your mother. And he's like all like kind of cocky. And he goes in there to talk to his mom. And his mom seems really kind of acting weird. And kind of mentions that his father is away doing whatever he's doing, important work. His dad isn't around, and this guy Martin's just way too comfortable around his mom. And aren't they some kind of royalty? Or yeah, they are. Because only only royalty speaks the high speech. Another mention of the high speech. And, I, you know, I was wondering through the whole book, what is this high speech? Does everyone just talk real ignorant, ignorant and stupid? <laughs> but uh, the high speech, we talk like this. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's obviously like a different language from, from low speak which I would assume is just straight English. You know, I, I was looking online. There's different um, ideas of what it could be, but like any time uh, during the book where anybody uh, says something and then refers to another as sigh, that's like high speech for sir or madam. Right. You know, sort of thing. So who knows what real language the high speech is could just be, you know, made up. I don't know. It's interesting, though. But you know what's funny about this book and how it gives you – you have so many questions. You want to look up things online. you got to be really careful, too. Yeah, I'm so I'm, – I really – yeah, I'm so hesitant to do any of that because it all links to the next books and everything. Or it, right, like I when can't... I looked at the Wikipedia page, I made sure to click on just the book. I don't want to – Yeah. I don't want to read the Dark Tower series page. I just want to read this book page. <laughs> You know, you got to be really careful. I, sometimes, if you see a spoiler, sometimes it's like, oh, I just got stabbed. Because it's shit you want to find out for yourself. There's so many questions raised. I don't want somebody just to tell me, you know. Yeah. Like, like, what is this place? What were the gunslingers? Well, you see, Jason, this is what they were. No, shut up. I don't want to know that. You know, it's just kind of like we got to learn for ourselves. And the one thing that I think is great about all this is how you have these little details that make you so curious about it. And that kind of reminded me of Star Wars too. Remember when old Ben is telling Luke, is like, I was once a member of the Jedi Council. And you're like, ooh. And yeah, remember and just, then we had to find out in the prequels. Great. See, Luke, we sit around in, in a circle jerk and we don't do anything. It's like, oh, I, that's not really what I imagined. It seemed a lot cooler yeah. than that. You, can't, you mentioned the Jedi Trials. What's that like? Oh, we'll never see that. Oh, okay. Never mind. But you'll read about them in the book. <laughs> yeah. The Jedi Trials. But anyway, <laughs> wow. But I digress. This isn't about Star Wars. What am I doing, Bill? 
at this point, this is whenever they uh, get to the uh, railroad tracks in the hand car, right? Oh, yeah, that's what's... Remember, at one point, they have a dialogue with uh, the man in black, don't they? And he says... That's not yet. That's... 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 No, to, that's once they reach the opening. Yeah, and it... No, no, no. They they encounter oh. him before they go in the tunnel, remember? And he goes, will you be willing to follow me, gunslinger? Or something like oh, that. Oh, yes, you're right. And he ducks down in the tunnel. When they follow in, it just becomes pitch black, and they're walking. Remember, it, he shoots around him. He's like, bam, 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 bam. He, empty, he shoots like all 12 rounds around him and the the man in black just is like oh <laughs> he's just laughing at him because he knows he can't kill him you would yeah, you and that's that's the point where uh uh roland gives jake the choice whether to stay or or follow it's like you could stay here right now someone might find you you might find someone i don't know you don't have to come with me no I'm but it's like he kind of makes that disconnection to jake right there because he knows he sees the man in black he's close to him and he's like well you know, it's it's your choice now. It's yeah, right. so he kind of he creates that separation right then and there. And Jake says something kind of whiny, like, "Oh, I'll just sit here. Somebody will find me. Maybe they'll have a thermos of soup or something." And he goes, "At, at that moment, Roland disconnected. He was no longer Jake. He was just the boy. He, you know, he basically he was a, a gateway to get to the Man in Black, and he had to disconnect from him. And I felt really sorry for Jake through this whole part of the book." Yeah, I, I, it was so, it was such a disappointment, because, I mean, I guess we knew it was going to happen, but just didn't like to just thought, see it happen. At first, you kind of imagine yourself as a young kid hanging out with this badass gunslinger. Yeah, and it's like it's an adventure. And then all of a sudden, he's not talking to you anymore, and he seems distant and cold, and you feel like you've done something wrong, and you don't know what. You could identify with that too, and it makes you feel sad for the kid. And he's just like, I'm going to die, aren't I? And he's in the, of course, you know, Roland doesn't answer that question. Yeah. He's like. I think that's that's where he, um, he's trying to get off the subject and he asks Roland about his coming of age. Yeah. When did you first have to, uh, when did you first beat the man, you know, to become a gunslinger? And there's this whole thing about to become a gunslinger, you have to challenge your master, basically. There are dire consequences if you don't. You're an outcast. If yeah, you you're fail. banished. Which uh, is hardcore, dude, isn't it? Yeah, really. It's like, you're banished. It's like, no, no, I just want a, a do-over. Come on. <laughs> I guess it's not like the driving test there where you just keep taking it. You're just screwed after your... Yeah, you're, that's it. Your whole childhood of training. And, yeah, and like you were talking about earlier, I think this is the point... Yeah, this is where I have it written down. that um, This is where he makes the decision... When he leaves his room one day and he passes his mother's rooms and uh, Martin, who they call the Enchanter, calls him into his mom's room. And it's said that Martin is uh, his father's right-hand man and that uh, he's standing next to his mom dressed too casually with his hand on his shoulder. And he knows that something's up right then and there. And me, he wants to kill the guy. That's why he wants to be a yeah. gunslinger right then yeah, and there. Yeah, he wants to take the guy out. Yeah, and his mom's acting real weird. And as soon as he leaves the room, doesn't it sound like his mom gets smacked? Yeah, it does. Said that it says that his mom's wailing, and that you know that he's ba- that Martin's basically beating the crap out of her. Just like how you know, don't hint to him what's going on here or something. That's what I imagined. You yeah. don't hear what he's saying to her, but you imagine like, uh, hey, why don't you just tell the boy you're nailing me or something? I don't know. Yeah, but she's obviously being manipulated because of her position of power. Correct. And. Uh, 
Roland wants to become a gunslinger now so he can go kill the bastard because his dad's away. And the whole idea is that he has to challenge Court, the guy who's an asshole and trains kids and he slaps them around and stuff. And I think it's interesting when he does it, he kicks open his door. Yeah. And Court's just like, you know what, man? This is four years earlier than uh, your father was. And just leave me alone. He's like, he spent all night at the brothel. He's tired. It it mentions too much sex. Leave me alone. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, finally, I forget what he says, but it's really cool. The kind of challenge that he issues. And he's like, uh, I'm telling you right now that you should forfeit. You shouldn't do this. Come back to me later. I'll just forget the whole thing happened. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm challenging you today and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, the court tells him to choose his weapon and meet him on the field. And that's when he goes to David, the old yep. hawk. And remember the old the, hawk. The only, only another hawk could befriend a hawk, as it said. Or was it only a man who's half hawk? <laughs> Something like that. And the whole thing, this whole setup here is to show, I guess, that he has befriended the hawk. Well, Roland six the hawk on court, and there's a, a huge fight, and basically the the hawk takes court out before court kills the hawk. And court asks him, you know, how did you train the hawk? Because it's supposedly impossible. And he said, I didn't train him; I befriended him. Oh, and I love so. that whole that the description of he uh, six David onto court, and he flies at him like a bullet, just straight for him clawing at his face and stuff and the court wildly swings he can't connect till he realizes he has to just start hitting himself in the head yeah. so he's like banging himself in the head trying to get the thing the way it's described is blood gushing out of his face it didn't sound pretty did it no not at all and his buddies are standing there watching the whole thing happen yeah and they're all shit in their pants like they can't believe it's happening and Cuthbert goes with him to uh to the challenge and then he's like freaking out like he's he doesn't know what to do if he should stay or go get his friends yeah like it's like i can't believe he's doing this i think at one point he's like you dumbass you forgot your weapon he's like no i pull i picked a weapon he's like what it's like where the hell's your weapon at yeah it's like it said he basically he felt kind of guilty because he basically won uh, on a trick oh and do you remember completely completely trick court and he says to David, the hawk, he goes, uh, today you will give your life for me. And from now on, I will fire my gun into the air to remind in remembrance of this day. Remember that? Yeah. I thought that was cool. So one day a year, he fires his gun into the air to remember his hawk. So basically, he he beats court and then he uh, gets his guns and he spends the night in the brothel. Yeah. He gets laid. So we don't find out anything more from his past at that point, do we? No. That's, that's this is, at this point is whenever they, uh, uh, they're they moving along on the handcart. And they. Uh, and how great is that when they first encounter the handcart? Yeah, I know. And it's like they press a button on it and it, it says some sort of ad for yeah. something. Well, first when he cranks it, he, it's like, good, very good. And he like cranks it again. Good, do it again. He's like, what the hell? You know, he doesn't like like teaching you how to do it. And it's funny. It's like the the gunslinger did not wish to hear this voice much longer. (laughs) Something is like (laughs) is getting on his nerves. And yeah, it had some kind of commercial or something that would play. 
And finally, he found a button and clicked it, and the voice stopped. There was there was some company that like made everything something Positronics or something. Yeah, I didn't write it down. I just remember Positronics. I thought that was all totally sweet, man. Just that kind of imagery because all of a sudden they're in this old darkened cave and then all of a sudden there's i mean basically it's old railroad tracks right yeah but then as they get deeper it's not railroad tracks it seems they're subway tracks yeah they're in a uh they're they start going by mummified bodies and they're in they're in like a station with shops and stuff. So they're like in a, a train station. Right. But before they get there, remember, they encountered the slow mutants. I thought that was after. No, that's before they get there, I believe. Oh, okay. Because they have the whole, you know, they're just... Remember, what they'll do is they'll pump all day on the handcart, and then they'll stop and they'll sleep. I can I wouldn't... Right. Sl- you're right. Yeah, this is... Can you imagine sleeping in... All those descriptions of them making camp and just sleeping in pitch blackness, you know? Yeah, that's so. The, the entire time you're reading it, it's almost like you can see what's going on, but then everything's just complete blackness. It's so weird to read something like that, but in your mind, try to try to make out what's going on. And it talks about how he notices that Jake sees a lot better than him in the dark. Mm-hmm. He has an easier way in the dark than him. You know, like I said, that the kind of distance he had from Jake at this point is kind of sad because before when they were getting along well, it was kind of neat. And uh, when they encounter the slow mutants, first they see the creatures just stand there and he's like, don't worry, they won't bother us. And the next ones charge at them. Yeah, and they're trying to take Jake down into the the mutant pits. There's one point where one of the mutants grabs him by the foot and even Roland's like, okay, this is it. This is when the boy's supposed to die. Mm-hmm. And but it's not. He saves them, and he's you know he's shooting the slow mutants left and right, and he even has to shoot them like several times. The one that grabs the boy, he's got to shoot him like three or four times, I think. But I thought that was a cool like action adventure scene. They're it on the handcart, and they're because the, it's like you think of it in your mind, like they're they glow, they kind of like pulsate in their green glow. But then you've got the the gunfire going off at the same time, and. It's it's just the way it's written is really fast, and that's that's another problem I had with the audiobook is that the guy, the way he reads it, he reads it just in this steady way. It's not. It should. When I read it, I read it kind of fast, like the way the words are put together. Like it's this really fast scene. And right, I do that too. Book, I was just like, oh no, 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 no. It's <laughs> like, oh my gosh, dude, come on. What, yeah, the pace quickens, and you're reading real fast. Like, and you know, as they rolled along, and the the slow mutants kept coming after them, and you're just reading like, oh shit, it's all frantic and everything. And remember, they block the track, and he has to get off, and or he has to Jake to reach down and move the rocks at the same time. He's like, did these creatures do this, or did the man in black do? It's <laughs> yeah, just like man in black put. Stop him! It just yeah. The, every time he doubts, like wait a second, the man in black did this. That guy's an asshole. You know, it's always the man in black. He's like, "What's that smell? There's a turn over there. It stinks." The man in black. <laughs> you know? He left that for us. <laughs> yeah, thanks a lot, man in black. It's in a symbol. It says, "Come after me." But when they get away from the uh, the slow mutants, <laughs> I just love that the slow mutants. Well, at least they're not fast, right? Yeah. But some of them were kind of fast. They were a little fast, but maybe slow meant that you know the mind. 
slow learners. I, I, it was hard for me to picture this, but they go into the subway. I guess it's a terminal where there are shops and stuff, right? Yeah. And they get out and they're walking around and he finds like an old bow and arrow and he carries yeah, it around. Yeah, he goes into a weapon shop and takes bow and arrows. And at first he's really excited to see guns, but then they're all plugged up and none of them actually work. It's just like a display. But I like how it's like first his face lit up like, ooh, guns! But then it's like, ah, oh, these don't work. So that at first I was like excited too. Ooh, cool! He's found new weapons. He's got a rifle. He's going to start is strapping them on. Yeah, but none of them work. But it takes this old crappy bow and arrow, and as they're riding along in the tunnel, more he just starts shooting it. You know, kind of playing around with it, and it doesn't work very well. So I guess he discards it at some point. Well, no, they they use it to see how far they are from the water because they can hear the water running close to them. Right. I'll, I love that description. They shoot it and they pull it back to see if it's wet. Didn't you love that? The description of the water would be running near them. Sometimes it would drift far and then come back. You can imagine traveling on a track and the the sound of the water going far away and then coming back and going. Yeah, like and it's, how deafening it is whenever you're, whenever you're close to it in that in a tunnel like that. And then eventually what they do is they wind up where they have to get off the cart and start walking on the tracks. And is this when they encounter the big, you know, you picture a giant track just in nothingness around it where it goes down deep forever with, uh, I forget how, X's of the the beams. Yeah, it's it's the ground is rotted and uh, the beams are rotted on the track and there's just a faint light that uh, is blotted out by the man in black, so they know he's up there. Yeah, and they've got to they've got to make their way across without falling through the tracks. And I believe what Jake at certain points he he says little smartass things like, uh, "Will you leave me here?" or something like that. But it, there's one point where he goes, "Let's go back. We don't have to go. Come on, <laughs> let's yeah. just go back." And he's like, "No." And the boy keeps going with him. It's like the boy just can't, he can't turn away, you know? He's got to keep going, too. you got to think what it's like to be that age. Would you rather chance dying by staying with a an adult or going by yourself in a strange land? You have right. to think about it as a, as a young boy's point of view. We know that he something's going to happen to the kid, and I was just, like, wondering when it's going to happen. When is and it- every, every point, like... It, while they're in this tunnel because they're so close to the man in black you're just thinking is it going to be like you said is it going to be the slow mutants is it going to be this part where you know they're trying to get across the track without falling they get to the top of the track and there's this moment all of a sudden jake he's kind of fooling around on the tracks i believe he's getting mm-hmm. cocky he's going out further you know, I even asked you this. I said, uh, Bill, I read this moment over and over again, and I'm, trying, I'm having a hard time picturing it in my head. When he sees the man in black, he has to choose between going after him and the boy who's dangling. Mm-hmm. And I, I was trying to picture where the man in black was standing and where Roland was and where the boy is. Could he turn around? Because the whole thing is collapsing, right? All the yeah. old rickety wood and stuff. Could he turn and grab him? Yeah, well, it's like it's like it said that Jake stumbles and falls uh, at the sight of the man in black, and he gets a hold, but it's like this long, long drop below, and he calls to Roland to help him, but the man in black tells the gunslinger to make a choice. You know, he could save the boy, and the man in black will escape, or he leaves the boy, and he can follow the man in black for the answers he seeks. 
and that's the point where he makes the choice. You know, he can he jumps over the hole that Jake is in, looks back at him, and that's whenever I, I was just really bummed out by that whole thing. <laughs> yeah, that's when Jake says, you know, uh, go ahead. There are other worlds than these. Jake should have said, "Cold blooded, dude." Ah! <laughs> yeah, and then he just he lets go, and he doesn't make a sound as he falls. Right. I'm like, oh, he fell through a wormhole. He's fine. <laughs> I know it's like, yes. But I was really bummed out by that because I like the character of Jake and the mystery of how he came from New York and all that stuff. And then, I mean, God, we're just getting into some weird shit when he has this conversation finally with the man in black. Yeah, that's that's this is where it starts getting this is where like this adventure story just completely blows up. And you know what's funny is when Roland first, he's standing there with him. He's just like, I'll kill you. He just, he's ready. It's like, can I just kill this guy and get it over with? But that's not what he's there for. He's there to get answers from him. King refers it to as, as uh, Golgotha, where Christ is crucified. So it's, uh, it's like there's uh, bones everywhere of every kind. Joshua trees, like a place where bones of the dead are disposed of. There's a line where it says he sees Jake's face in every skull. There was a there was a very descriptive moment when Jake falls. How he would spend his entire life trying to forget about the image of the boy in his mind. He would, you know, I won't be that graphic, but have sex with a lot of women trying to forget. <laughs> yeah, and I was yeah, like, whoa, okay. Bury himself in yeah, a lot of holes. <laughs> yes, and I was like. Women- Women parts. I can't wait to get to that part in the audiobook. I want to hear the guy yeah, say that the line. Guy just it just like totally reads over it like it's not even a big deal. He's like, it's words, and words are what I do. It's my job. It's like, yeah, but it's such a great word. <laughs> How could you not like linger on that? But he should have just stretched the word out. Yeah, he should have gotten to a fight over it. Like I say. This you say that or like? Yeah, where they're like, uh, um, sorry, a, a sir in the sound booth. Uh, you didn't say that word right. Could you pronounce it like this? And they just you spend should. like thirty minutes on it. You said Kunt. <laughs> you said Dean Kuntz. <laughs> so this is a Stephen King book. So let's talk about the conversation that uh, the man in black had with uh, Roland. Right, the palaver, <clears throat> the final palaver. Uh, there's a whole scene of. Him building up this fancy fire. <laughs> and, then, yeah, and it's funny that the man in black tells Roland to go gather wood for the fire. And he just does it. He's just kind of like, Ugh. And he gets up and does it. And he's like, shall we eat? And he pulls out, I forget how to describe it, some kind of like mystic meat that he just pulls out. A skinned and gutted rabbit from his robes. Right. He wouldn't usually eat magic rabbit, right? Well, no, he doesn't. He puts it on a spit and roasts it and then gives it to the man in black and takes a... Uh, yeah, he chooses not to eat his mystic yeah, rabbit. Yeah, takes basically. the last of the jerky, and there's a whole description about how the jerky tasted like tears. And I thought it was interesting. He would he didn't want to eat this thing he conjured up, basically. Yeah, but what's funny is if you think back to the beginning of the book... He eats the charred bacon out of the first campfire that he finds. He keeps without even without any reservation. So, it I really don't think it has anything to do with enchanted meat as much as him just being obstinate. Now that he's with the man in black, 
Yeah, he's like, I'm not going to eat here in front of you, dude, or I'm not going to break bread with you, basically. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. That's it. You know, I I don't dare break bread with you. It's like you're kind of a dick, you know, because he really doesn't like the guy. And let's talk about the things he reveals to Roland. Well, I think it starts out with, like, the man in black. He, uh, there's a part where he removes his hood, and it's Roland is, like, shocked how young he is. And then he does the tarot card reading, which is really, really bizarre. And it's like he says, the first card he draws is death, but it actually means life. And that the last card he draws is life, but it actually means death. But it's not for the gunslinger. He won't tell how the life fits in the pattern with the other cards since he doesn't know. So he throws throws the card in the fire and then uh, tells the gunslinger to sleep, and he just falls asleep. And this is where the uh, the whole, like, weirdo dream starts, where it's just blackness. It shows him the vast, uh, I don't know, it's showing him the universe, right? Yeah, it starts with, like, he's, like, the man in black is, like, loosely quoting the Bible. And he says, like, uh, let us have light. Oh, land. yeah, let there be light! Yeah. And he's like, stop! Let there be light! And he's like, stop it. You know, it's just like, it's like overwhelming everything that he's seeing, you know, the vastness, the, uh, I don't know how to describe it. Obviously, no, you're I'm not, right. I'm the, not... the magnitude of it is almost too much for Roland to take. Yeah, he's taking all this information and it's basically, and then it's something like, what if this world existed on, but, you know, is just a one tiny speck of sand I really should probably read that part again since I don't remember. There's, there's one. There's a really cool moment in it though, where like the man in black, he's put together this whole universe in his dream. But then there's it, there's a greater voice than the man in black that commands, "Let there be light." And you almost think like, "Whoa!" Is like, is the man in black actually taking him back in time, and that's God's voice, you know, commanding, "Let there be light." Yeah, right. And it just it's. The way that works, it just kind of blew my mind for a few moments. Uh, and that's where he tells him to stop and everything. And uh, that's whenever he, like, zooms out and shows everything. Like, the, the cosmic world, the galaxies beyond galaxies and stuff like that. Just so detailed and so cool. He serves someone. He's not like... The Man in Black's not like this evil guy who uh, isn't who's commanding things. He's actually a servant. He says he's like the furthest minion of the tower. And that uh, the man in black is actually, had given the same, that same universe vision to Martin. Right. Uh, oh yeah. There's if the... he, he had given the same vision to Martin, Martin would have per- perished. So it actually means that the gunslinger is stronger than him. There's something special goes, about him. Yeah. There's definitely there. Yeah. And whatever, whoever is uh, in power, has some kind of interest in Roland also and his yeah and is fascinated by his ability to endure it's, it's from the beginning it's he's the last of the gunslingers so i mean for him to be the last of anyone actually there's something uh, is important the specialness of him is how he endures no matter what how he even says early in the book how his ability to adapt to situations is his gift he can adapt to anything, right? He can accept what's happening to him and keep going, I guess. The gunslinger tells the man in black that he saw a uh, purple blade of grass. Right. And that the man in black explains the significance 
he explains the philosophy of life in the universe. He tells them about the vision uh, might have been their place in the universe, like an atom on a blade of grass. And imagine a place where all the worlds in the universe meet, you know, like the tower. You know, like, would he dare to enter it? And uh, I think Roland says, like, that uh, one has dared before him to enter the tower uh, who's God. And then he asks him if he's wrong, and the room in the tower is empty, and fear passes over the man and back for the first time at these words. So he's like, oh, shit. You know, <laughs> the gunslinger, you know, what if, what if you are wrong? What if, you know, supposedly this room that you're talking about in the tower is empty? And it's just like, oh, well, then what am I doing here? It's like, dude, you're asking heavy questions, gunslinger. Yeah. It, well, it's so funny that, that the man in black throws all this heavy shit on Roland, and then Roland throws it right back in his face with a simple question. Right, because he, he, he never thought to question that stuff, I guess. No. Just accept it. And it's like you said before, that's, that's what Roland's all about. He's, you know, he questions everything, he adapts to everything. There's no, you know, he doesn't just accept things. Yar. Yar! <laughs> Do you say so? <laughs> Let it be so. And what is it, I'm trying to remember, at what point does he tell him to go back to sleep? Uh, it's right after this. You know, he says that the night will be extended until all the all has been discussed. The, I think that's where um, Roland asks him who the man in Black's master is. And the answer is Marilyn. And Marilyn is the beast and the keeper of the tower. And the man in black has never met either of them. And Marilyn came to the man in black in a dream many eons ago and told him his destiny. And that the gunslinger uh, will have to slay Marilyn, or Marilyn before he can ever reach the tower. And the man in black tells the gunslinger that his mind is unlike any other in the history of the world and someone has taken notice. Whoa. So that's the, that's the moment where we find out that uh, Roland is more than anyone else that's where they talk all night and the last thing a man in black says to him is let there be light and that's when roland wakes up uh by the dead campfire and he's 10 years older yeah and that's what i was gonna ask you okay is it 10 years later or is he just 10 years older um you know that's a, that's something that i was thinking i was like thinking was it did he actually sleep for 10 years because the, uh, the man but, in black is now a skeleton yeah right? he is now a skeleton <laughs> And the in the robe is rotting, so, so I guess it's ten years. I would later. almost have to say, yeah, he did sleep ten years. So because I, at first I thought, did he just age because of the magnitude of everything that he learned? But you know, by saying that the the skeleton is there and the robe and all that, that I'm thinking maybe he actually did. And remember what he does is he takes the jawbone. <laughs> Yeah, he takes the Man of Black's jawbone. And so my question was, earlier, when the Oracle said you could take the boy and go far away and come back to this later, but it felt so urgent at the time, but then, just now, ten years has passed, so ten long years, that's a long time of things passing, so how urgent is this kind of uh, odyssey that he's on? You know what I mean? Could he yeah. have maybe taken Jake and gotten far away from there and then come back some other time and caught up to the man in black eventually? Well, I think like the Oracle said, I think it was almost important that, uh, you know, it was it was part of the plan that Jake dies. I I, it's, I don't think this is the last we're going to see of Jake because, you know, he says then then go for there are other worlds than these. I think that's. I think that's going to be ring true more than we know as we continue. You know, to read I believe the book. I don't know. It's no big deal, but uh, in 
low men in yellow coats. I believe a character says that exact same thing, which is really cool. But if he would have looked over and seen Jake's like mangled body, that would be different. But he just kind of falls away into the blackness and you don't hear anything. So mm-hmm. it's just like, oh, maybe, you know, we'll see what happens, right? Yeah. So I got to ask you right now, at this point, you've just finished the book. What were you thinking? Whoa. <laughs> it's almost, like, it sits like, okay, the curtain is closed and then boom, like it opens yeah. up. Remember, he goes to the ocean. Yeah. And as he goes there, he, he says out loud, I loved you, Jake. Right. You know, so Jake is still strong on his mind. But it's so funny how after he achieves what he meant to achieve, all of a sudden, again, it's, I loved you, Jake. So it's like, I don't know, it just, he seems like such a wishy-washy dude. He sticks with his decision, but he regrets it at the same time. Yeah. When he has time to ponder. I think he likes to stay busy. <laughs> so he doesn't yeah, ponder. exactly. What's cool is in the book I have, the version of the book... I guess they're all the revised and expanded versions now. That's the only one in print right now that Stephen King went back. But mine has illustrations in it. And that last illustration is of the gunslinger sitting on the beach. I think you've seen the th- the picture online, right? Yeah, with just barely the tower. Like the hint know, of the... Like, it's there, but it isn't there. It's somewhere in the... Right, it's just the... This quest that he must find the Dark Tower. But I love that artwork. The imagery of the Dark Tower is so cool. I mean, it just leaves so much to the imagination. You're just like, yeah. wow. We just barely have even an inkling of the story, which is so yeah. cool. I mean, I was fascinated by the book. And, you know, I was saying Yar a lot. And do you say so? <laughs> and uh, I just was really uh, captured by it all. Yeah. And, and it's so cool how it ends the way... You know, he's just sitting on the beach, just waiting for the uh, for the time of the drawing, like what the oracle told him. Because there's nowhere else he can go. He's just as far wait. as he's gone. Now he just has to wait it out. And it's so interesting that he's going where, whatever world he lives in, so many people, like he said back at the town of Toll, they're like, I don't know what lies there. You know, I'm not going over there. So he's going to all these strange places where the people don't even travel. <laughs> I mean, they stay put because the world is such a weird, strange, scary place. Well, it's become, you know, the world has moved on to the point where, where that's no one travels. There's no one there to travel. So I'm going to definitely say that I love the whole atmosphere of the book. And, yeah, definitely. Uh, and I can't wait to read more. Honestly, I wanted to pick up the other book right away and just start reading it, but I stopped myself. And I'm not sure if I should have. I should have just kept going. I wanted to do the show, the book club show, and you know, let's all talk about it. I hope you know everyone who read the book. I don't know if you enjoyed it or not, but I I think it's cool that just the idea of a group of people all reading the same book at the same time isn't that cool? It is. I I, I love that. It's so great that you know other people can read along with us and then get into it Uh, and it's just it's cool it's something i never would have thought is cool but it's cool it is and uh hell i do want to read all the books hopefully i like all of them but uh we do have a couple of voicemails here bill and let's excellent i'd love to hear them let's check out the first one okay nowhere in mulberry how's it going this is ross from northern california uh, I've been wanting to call for a long time, but never got a chance. But just wanted to say I finished the book, The Gunslinger, and really, really enjoyed it. I was kind of skeptical at the beginning, 
it being a Stephen King book, and I haven't really read anything of his, and the only exposure I've had to him was, like, Sleepwalkers, which was terrible, and uh, <laughs> which was scary at the beginning, but by the end, with John Ritter's fighting some giant telepathic arachno crab, I kind of lost interest. So not the book, the but TV show. Say, <laughs> Don't forget the Langoliers. I really enjoyed this book. It kind of grabbed me the whole time from the beginning on. It almost felt like uh, just a, a regular, really well-written cowboy novel, but then when you get into the town of Tull and you're dealing with North's resurrection and you know Sylvia Pitson and her whole sermon and how he gets the information out of her and then what ultimately <laughs> ends up happening in the town of Tull, I was like, wow, yeah, this is, this is more up my alley. This is more what I would think a Stephen King book would be. But, yeah, there was a lot of stuff in it that I really liked. I really liked the relationship between Jake and, and Roland and how he was kind of, you know, telling Jake's story in the present while telling Roland's story in the past. And they were both kind of like a, a coming-of-age story of how Roland was learning to mistrust the world and his mother and how Jake was then learning to mistrust Roland and everything like that. It was just really cool. I also liked uh, the biblical imagery that was smattered through it, you know, using different terms from the Bible in different places. That was cool. It gave it kind of an eerie, edgy feeling. And I just enjoyed it all around. I mean... I, uh, I am definitely looking forward to the next book. Um, I do have to ask one thing, though, is that I am having a child next month, so <laughs> I am not sure I'm going to be able to read it, so I was wondering if I can get a, a pass, you know, a new first-time dad pass for uh, the second book and be able to listen to it on tape. If that's sure, cool, okay, I appreciate okay, it. Yeah. If not, I guess I will just lie to you guys and say I read it while I actually listen to it. But yeah, really. <laughs> on the air. No anyway, one has to um, know. As for the movies go, I think I would love to see Sam Raimi direct this movie, this series. I think it would be right up his alley. And it would be awesome, but he's actually a little bit too old now, kind of packed on a few pounds. But I think Bruce Campbell would be an excellent gunslinger. Maybe in the past <laughs> oh, now. Man. I'm not sure. I don't know if anybody could really play him. Maybe Christian Bale, but he seems to get every role like this. And I'd kind of like to see somebody else. But knowing our luck, we'd probably get, you know, Paul Walker or somebody like that. Anyway, Paul Walker ain't uh, bad. I really enjoyed the book. Very looking forward mm. to it. And uh, I will talk to you guys later. Thanks, Ross. That's awesome. Hey, I thought Paul Walker was excellent in uh, Running Scared. Oh, no. I, I don't see him playing a part like this at all. But, I mean, I, it's like you said. You can't judge an actor... They they have potential in them. It's not what you've seen them do before. It's what you see them brings them out in the park. But anyway, what I was going to say, you actually have a lot of time to read with a baby because a baby sleeps a lot, and you, uh, you know, yeah, as especially a, a newborn, a first time father. In fact, you kind of watch them sleep a lot. So actually, get a rocking chair, sit there next to the baby. And you have time to read, trust me. I mean, you got to change diapers and feed the baby, and that's fantastic. That's all good stuff. But also, you know, I was thinking more about the audiobook stuff, because my dad said that he uh, unearthed the old cassettes of uh, Stephen King reading The Gunslinger. And he wasn't reading, he was listening to the audiobook. And we were talking about how, you know, when you're listening in silence, and some, it's like someone telling you a story. And I could mm -hmm. see that, too. So really, the whole audiobook thing—it hey, whatever works for you. As long as it's revised and unabridged, I don't care. Yeah, the unabridged, and I don't think I've ever like we've said before. I've listened to audiobooks before, but it's usually after I've read the book. 
yeah, that's what I always love to check out the audiobook after I read the book. Like uh, I Am Legend one that uh, I listened to that you sent me, it's way after I'd read the book a couple of times. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to check this out. And so it was very interesting. But yeah, whatever works for you. Just as long as you're participating in the NIM book club, that's all that matters, right? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's the, Even if it's audiobook. I'll even t- if it's the NIM audiobook club. And I'll talk about who I picture directing a Dark Tower movie. But first, we have a Swiley voicemail, and I'd like to check that out first. We have a Swiley book club voicemail. (laughs) Nice. I think it's funny how I'll title voicemails. It cracks me up sometimes because I'll have done it like a week ago or something. (laughs) It's so like Jason in the future knows exactly what I was talking about from the past. See? Too awesome. Uh, what am I even talking about? Screw you. You're delirious. What did, <laughs> what did Zoltan say? Screw you and the horse you rode in on. <laughs> <laughs> Love that little guy. I can just picture Zoltan. I, hope, I do hope Zoltan shows up later on, don't you? That would be, that would be cool. We haven't even talked about this. Before I play the Swiley uh, voicemail, there are references to the Dark Tower series in almost all of Stephen King's works. I don't know if many people know that. But just reading about it is very exciting and cool. I don't know how much planning he did in that or how much afterthought or forethought or whatever. But it's awesome, isn't it? Yeah, I know that one one thing I read that uh, the whole Zoltan thing, the sound he makes on the uh, The the roof, that tack, 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 is supposedly... Uh, tied in with the the two books, the Devastators and the Regulators, which are one was written as Bachman and the other is King. Oh. And uh, I don't know what that connection is. I haven't read either of them. I'd like to. Well, what about but, the bird uh, in? Uh, doesn't Randall Flag become a bird in the stand? Yeah. And it was just different imagery. I was thinking of fantastical stuff in his books, like this. Bill, the Mist. The creatures that come from the mist, that come from this weird parallel dimension or something, could that have something to do with the same world as the Dark Tower? Yeah, absolutely. It's just I don't see why not. When you start thinking of things like that, it's oh, really cool. You correct me. Desperation, sorry. Not, uh, what did I say? Devastators or something? Right. I was thinking of Transformers. <laughs> Transformers. Transmorphers. Out of my head. Yes. You want to go see Transmorphers this weekend, Bill? Totally. I don't think it's in the theater, though. That's a bummer. We'll have to rent it. <laughs> well, let's check out Swiley's voicemail. Bullberry, this is for the book club. Hey, it's Swiley. I wanted to give some comments. Um, having completed book one of The Dark Tower, I guess first off, I wanted to say that the highlight probably was the scene where Sylvia, that preacher lady, is pretty much given an exorcism slash abortion i felt that was a rich and intense scene and <laughs> yeah that really stood out if i were going to make a movie of the book i would have to find a way to visualize that another yeah. like really intriguing question i had throughout the book throughout the gunslinger was the nature of the of the universe that they're in is it like some sort of alternate universe is it a post-apocalyptic future in space uh, or some sort of like <laughs> afterlife. And there's like these biblical allusions throughout the book. 
near the very end, the man in black says that a certain stranger's name is, is Legion, which yeah. is actually what these demons in the New Testament told Jesus when he, man, he exercised a herd of pigs. So, yeah, our name I don't is know, Legion. I appreciated the specific, really non-obvious biblical references. On the negative, I'd say that there were a few times that King referred to uh, Alice or Allie, I think it was after the first book. He, he keeps referring to that girl from Tull just over and over again, but then he drops, you know, some tertiary characters' names without any description or frame of reference. It's just kind of a little bit frustrating. But, um, oh yeah, and oh, number 19 is a big part of the first novella, but that's pretty much it as far as the first book. They probably, he probably uh, goes into, you know, the significance of 19 later on in the series, but he made a lot of it in the introduction. That's true. I almost and expected more of that later one, in the book. That was about it. One thing yeah. I noted was how strongly the relationship between Roland and Jake reminded me of um, Cormac McCarthy's The Road. Just yeah. a sort of, um, I guess, fatherly instinct that causes Roland to be really attached to the, the kid, even though eventually he feels as though the boy's just sort of a pawn in, in the Man in Black's sort of grand design. Another great scene was near the end when he finally reaches the Man in Black and he's given this crazy monologue describing the scale of the universe. It's, it's, a, it's an idea, I think, that we've seen... You know, like the, the end of Men in Black, just the idea that, you know, the universe could be within a grain of sand or a drop of water, and there's an entire universe or, you know, group of universes around us. I know it's very early in the journey after just one book, but I couldn't help but wonder if you were planning to, to discuss movie or TV adaptation, you know, who would be a good gunslinger, who would direct it, I mean... Leone and Peckinpah can't be resurrected, unfortunately, but um, <laughs> I'm thinking Guillermo del Toro would be able to like, bring the slow mutants to vivid life. Christoph Gans, he, uh, he directed Brotherhood of the Wolf. I think yeah. he might be a good option. Um, and even though I think he needs a lot of work directing actors, I think Zack Snyder's skills as a visual stylist would match up in some portions. I think there's a section that describes the gunslingers like an act of violence that was almost beautiful. <laughs> and there's a train. He's missing the train. <laughs> I think Zack Snyder could make that visually really sweet. Um, I guess if Andy Dufresne turns out to be a gunslinger, they could throw Frank Darabont a bone and let him direct part of it. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, oh, he'd probably I really love that. The first book. Oh, you know, he would. I really would. look forward to the rest of this book club. I know we have a long way to go. In conclusion, the beginning of the journey. Libya is a land of contrast. Thank you. Oh, well, thanks, Wyler. That was an awesome voicemail. Yeah, and isn't uh, in the mist uh, Darabont threw a photo of Roland? Yeah, that's Roland. he's painting the gunslinger at the beginning. Yeah. That is so cool. What he's talking about, the different directors, Guillermo del Toro, you know, handling the Hobbit and stuff. I mean, I know we're just coming up with fantasy. I just don't think there's any way that would ever happen. No. <laughs> the guy's going to be busy for a while. But also, I like the other guy, and the guy who did Children of Men, Bill. Yeah, Al Alfonso Cuaron. 
and he did the best Terry Potter in the series. I think he would do an awesome gunslinger. I honestly do. I think he would, too. But, you know, I can't get the fact that Damon Lindelof and uh, J.J. Abrams have, you know, bought the rights for, what, like five cents from Stephen King for the series. So, I mean, I would love to see J.J. try and pull this off. Right. J.J. Abrams wants to do The Dark Tower. And as it stands now, if, you know, I know directors get sidetracked all the time or they lose interest. Like, let me make Mission Impossible 6 first or something like that. But I know that Damon Lindelof is a King, Stephen King freak. And I know yeah. that he's uh, also a Dark Tower freak more than anything. And I trust that guy as a writer. I think he's a fantastic writer. And, he is. And I think he would do a good job. In fact, my pick to play Roland is on Lost. And no, it's not Charlie and not Saeed. No. Saeed, I don't think, would be a very good Roland. But Josh Holloway, who plays Sawyer, I think would be a perfect Roland. You're absolutely right. I, th- I don't think there could be a better Roland. In fact, when I watch Lost, I almost feel like they already know that. Oh, dude, this is our Roland. Well, let's give him scenes where he kind of acts like Roland. You know, I almost yeah. feel that. And Josh Holloway, you may at the beginning of Lost into now, he's shown me that he's an incredible actor. I really think he yeah. is. And he's hilarious, too. He can be funny. He can be scary and violent. He's perfect, I think. I can't get Ian McShane's voice out of my head, Bill, when it comes to the man in black. I just picture maybe, him saying, gunslinger. Well, maybe he could be uh, Stephen DeShane. Maybe he could be Roland's father. Right, but I just he would be a great man in black, though. The the man in black's got to be young. It doesn't matter. Be Can like he become normally young? Okay, how about who's the guy who played Robert the Bruce and Braveheart? He might be good. Oh, um, I think he's kind of let himself go though. Angus <laughs> Angus McFadden. Angus McFadden, yeah. I don't know. I almost see someone with a boisterous voice. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I just want to hear lots of gunslinger. Because <laughs> that's what anyone calls him. Does anyone know Roland is his name? They're all like, hey, gunslinger. No, not in this book. They, well, yeah, everybody just calls him the gunslinger, I think. I love well, that. If you think about it, the book's told from a third-person point of view. It's not told told from Roland's point of view. Right. So who's telling the story? Which was great also because I've been reading all the Sookie books that are all from first person. I loved to get into a book that was in third person because the first person, after you read like three books of it, it's time to, to take a break, <laughs> I think. Yeah. You know, I, I, I've only read a couple first person point of view books and I never liked them. <laughs> I just don't like that. I like it to a point, but I just, like I said, I need a breather after a while. I like good third-person storytelling. That's that's bread and butter, baby. That's what it's all about, right? Yeah, Josh Holloway. So you're saying Ian McShane wouldn't really work for the Man in Black? No. Hmm. Okay. Crispin Glover. Yikes. <laughs> I, you could think of somebody. I would almost say even like, uh, oh, 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 I know what to do. I know what to do. He's Ian McShane. Until he unveils his face to the gunslinger. Then he's a young nice. guy. What about that? That would work. And it would be like, holy shit, I thought you were Ian McShane this whole time. But you're just like a dude in his 30s or something. <laughs> you're not Lovejoy. <laughs> you're not Al Swearingen. God, I miss Deadwood. I miss that show. Oh, okay, he'll be Timothy Oliphant at the end. 
Only oh, fun. No. We need Josh Dumel. Josh Duhamel, or whatever. <laughs> no. Scott no. Scott Con. No. Okay. Josh Holloway would be the only TV actor to appear in the series. How's that? That. Okay. <laughs> what about Terry O'Quinn? Oh, he would be great. Okay. Maybe he could play Stephen DeShane. How about any every actor that's been on Lost, guest stars, anything, they're all in the whole series. They just cast except, all those people. Except Matthew Fox. Yeah, well, I don't know. He, he would be good in certain roles. He could play Maybe. his dad in the flashbacks. Uh, okay. I think Matthew Fox is good. It's just, you know, you that don't... That would be funny if the... The movie was like the entire cast of Lost. <laughs> yeah. It's like, dude, I know it's supposed to be a desert, but it looks a lot like a Wahoo. Did they even leave? <laughs> <laughs> you got to think about Jack's character in Lost. We're not talking about Lost here, but I'm just mentioning this for a second. At times, his character, the way they write him, could be aggravating. But I think Matthew Fox is a really decent actor. And by the way, I thought he was great as Racer X. <laughs> he was. He's fantastic. Oh, I know who would play the man in black. The guy who plays uh, Ben on Lost. Holy shit. Michael Emerson. He'd be fantastic. Benjamin Linus is the man in black. That would kick ass. (laughs) Totally. But maybe they can't be Johnny Cash. That's why I'd be, oh, gunslinger. I just kept picturing that. Or even he could do Martin. You're right. You Although I wouldn't like want to see the me. scenes with him showing his chest in his shirt. That's true. I don't. <laughs> like, oh. But anyway, I mean, there we don't. We haven't even cracked this shit open. It's one book, and it's how many are there? Eight, seven, seven books. Okay, we got six books to read. So this this was an awesome beginning, and I'm glad I bought this because uh, I'll always cherish this book. It's really good, and I'm going to keep listening to the audiobook too. I got to finish it now because I started it. And uh, I got to finish it. It's good. It's, you know, it, the guy does a good job. He's he's a little... Uh, you know, I can only listen, Bill. But it's not bad. During the day, I can listen to it. Because like I said, if I turn this on and I'm laying in bed, it's like... Oh, yeah, you'll fall right asleep. So it's because it's like when you're a kid and your parents read you to sleep. I'm used to that. It's like once yeah. upon a time, there was a gunslinger. I you can't know? listen to an audiobook without falling asleep. I'll never forget what... Beans, beans, a musical fruit. Although that'll wake you up. Yeah. The, one time my sister got a bunch of uh, audiobooks for a, a road trip we were taking, and I was out like a light. I was <laughs> worthless. I could not. I can't hang. Hey, it's Zoltan. You what? know what's crazy <clears throat> about that connection is, wasn't Zoltan a bunch of those fortune-telling machines? That right. You could find at, like, carnivals and stuff in the 80s? I yeah. think it was even one in Big. I think you're right. So maybe Zoltan's like, you know, something supernatural. Like like, he's a, a fortune-telling crow. And it's another thing. You know, remember Stephen King, huge fan of Lord of the Rings when he was a kid. He always knew he wanted to do that kind of series, that kind of epic thing, but not copy Tolkien. You know what I mean? He didn't want to mm-hmm. just do Lord of the Rings. He wanted to have his own thing. When he saw the good and the bad, the ugly, something clicked. Yeah, a gunslinger. So when I watch, uh, you know, like I even watched Good, the Bad, the Ugly, like I said recently, again, kind of to get into that frame of mind. One thing is you think of Grand Adventure or whatever, from the Good, the Bad, the Ugly to even this book, they're not like action books at all. 
it's just an interesting story that slowly plays out. That's one thing that Leon, or uh, if you want to say Leone, did perfectly, is he would take his time. And I think this book took its time, too. Yeah. And I think that's great, because in this day and age, it's so hard to get entertainment that takes its time. It's all in a big damn hurry, right? And that's one thing that's it's a slow cooker, as they say, right? Yeah, and it's and it's not about the, uh, like I said earlier, it's not about the beginning or the end. It's about the journey. And I love that this is how it starts. And I didn't picture Clint Eastwood the whole time when I was reading the book. See, I didn't. I'm glad I didn't. Yeah. No, that's what I'm saying. I didn't either. But one thing I okay. imagine, though, when he ages 10 years, go from the man with no name to Josie Wales. How cool would that be? <laughs> That would be pretty badass. I don't. I. You know what's funny is I was reading it. I can't say I really pictured anybody in particular. Right. At times, maybe I did in just imagery, but no. He just seemed like the way he described him. You know, remember most yeah. of the time he's kind of ravaged by the desert, so he's not like this clean-cut kind of Michael Paré looking guy. <laughs> Why did I say Michael Paré? Michael Paré. Remember we were just talking about him on the show. Oh yeah, we were. <laughs> Whoa! I love the gunslinger. I want to. That that's the final shot. You know, if you do a movie of uh, the Dark Tower, Bill, his guns uh, have to sound awesome. Am I right? Just yeah, that sound mix has to be strong on those. It just has to sound incredible. All right, Bill. Well, I guess we should wrap it up. That's the Nim Book Club Gunslinger. We'll see you next on the drawing of the three, and hopefully it's totally freaking cool, right? I really hope it is. I think it will be. I'm sure it will be. Listen to me. I think it will be. (laughs) Yeah, sorry about that, Bill. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Bill, see you with the next book. Everybody, thank you, Swiley, and thank you, Ross, for the voicemails. And hopefully we get more people calling in, leaving your voicemails. Hell, if you even do it after the show... Just first to hear it or give us your thoughts on the forum. We'd love it. Thanks, everybody. We didn't completely bore you out of your minds. Yeah, I hope not either. And I want to thank M. Daddio for listening to the whole show, huh? I know. M. Daddio hung out in the chat room, man. He's the he's killer. I think it's time to end the show, Bill. All right, Bill. I think it's time to go to bed. See you next week, Bill. Yes. Uh, no, wait. See you a month from now when we finish the next book. End of July, we'll do the next book. And hopefully we'll have Steven with us. Yeah. End of July, early August. (laughs) Oh, and thanks to my dad for doing this intro music. I asked him to do it, and he did it for me. Thanks, Dad. Kicked ass. The Dark Tower. Book one. The Gunslinger. By Stephen King.
adventure beyond the imagination. With one writer who towers above the rest, experience the ultimate fantasy series, Stephen King's Dark Tower. Available where books are sold. <laughs> Screw you, and the horse you rode in on. Now this is podcasting. Casting.